Radio Mano Papachango. So a few days ago, I saw somebody tweeted that uh, Sexadon and my podcast, this here podcast, uh, are as informative as Dan Rather in the 80s, which I found to be kind of funny because Dan Rather was like the ubiquitous television news presence of the 80s and comparing me to him just seemed hilarious for some reason. Uh, but I thought I gave it no, never mind. People say strange, funny shit on Twitter all the time. And then somebody else tweeted uh, hey, Chris, you should have Simon on the podcast. And Simon was the guy who had tweeted that. So I clicked on Simon's handle, and that took me to his Instagram feed, I believe. And I, I looked at a couple of the videos on his Instagram feed and <laughs> was laughing my ass off. Just this crazy, manic, hilarious sense of humor. And then I followed the, the link on the Instagram feed, and it turns out this guy, Simon Rex, ha, is in a TV show, is on a TV show called Typical Rick. It's a Comedy Central production. It's streaming online. You can watch the whole first season for free. Just Google Typical Rick. You'll see it. Um, so I watched the first episode of that. L cracked me up. Really well done. Really well acted, written. Just fair. It's really funny. Uh and then uh, I ended up watching the whole season. The, the episodes are like 10 minutes long. It's sort of a mini thing. It's like the way Broad City started out. And it started out as a web thing and got a big following and then went to TV. And now it's, you know, one of the best comedies on TV. And I have no doubt this show's going to follow that same route. It's just really well done. And uh, the two the two main guys, Simon and, and the other guy have a great rapport uh, on the show. Anyway, so I tweeted back like, uh, hey, yeah, do you want to you know, feel like doing a podcast if you're in L.A.? I assume the guy's in L.A. He's doing a TV show. And then uh, I, actually, I think I followed him and I DM'd him and then he DM'd me back like, hey, yeah, man, sure. Where you are? I'd you know, love to do it. And anyway, within 48 hours, I went from never having heard of this guy to sitting in his kitchen in Venice uh, recording this podcast that you're about to hear, and this is a couple days ago, so this is another one of these fresh from the oven episodes, uh, you know, and now we're pals. And uh, I mean, what a great thing. This is, you know, all the shit I give L.A. and everybody gives L.A. The thing is, there are a lot of really interesting people here. And thanks to you, listener. I've got this podcast and people make time for it. So, um, you know, a guy like Rick, uh, sorry, Rick, <laughs> Simon, Rick's the character, uh, you know, who's got a million things going on and is super busy. You know, if, you know, he, he likes the podcast and he knows I'm, I'm reaching some people that he wants to reach. So, uh, you know, there's some time. So it's really cool. And even if you're not supporting the podcast through my Amazon affiliate link or through Patreon or by, you know, writing glowing reviews on iTunes or any of the other millions of ways you could support the podcast, you're supporting it just by listening to it because it, it opens up these opportunities for me to, to hang out with people 
like Simon. Simon, you might know Simon also as Dirt Nasty. That's his rapper, one of his rapper uh, characters, his persona. He did a, a duet, if you will, with uh, Too Short. If you're into hip hop, you know Too Short is a classic presence in the West Coast hip hop scene. Uh, anyway, Simon or Dirt Nasty did a, a tune with him. I'll put that up on the website. Anyway, uh, I'm not going to rant and rave on this one. I'll save that for Aroma. But uh, this, I'm just really uh, I'm blessed to to be able to just drop into somebody's life like this and uh, and get to know them. And as I say, that's largely thanks to you. So I really appreciate all of you who are listening and who have made this a uh, community and. Um, you know, it's cool to be sort of at the center of that storm. So always appreciative of that. I'm going to play you out with a song by Dirt Nasty. It's called 1980. I remember 1980. That was my first year in college. First time I took mushrooms, Halloween night, 1980. Anyway, a lot changed for me. I remember it well. Uh, this is Dirt Nasty, and this tune is 1980. I hope you enjoy the tune. hope you enjoy the podcast. And as always, thank you for your support in all its many splendid ways. I'll catch you next week. Hope everything's going well for you out there in the world. What happened to your queer party, friends? I got a gold chain. I'm on cocaine. I'm like y'all, man. What, 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 what? I broke in straight from Oakland, holding my dick like a U.S. Open trophy. What up to hyphen? Y'all don't know me. Dirt nasty, ass cheeks, spread wide. G string to the side. One drink, Cavassier. Two drink, vodka straight. Three drink, I'm in the sink. Throwing up on my brand new man, coat. And I'm doing coke. Y'all can't hold my donkey road. Now call the pole. Pray for me, go Rolls Royce with your lady. I lived through the 80s, and shit was crazy. Everybody wanna know my name, bring the pain and pop the champagne. Every girl wanna hold my chain when I fuck their brains out on the mascot. Tell your girl to stop paging me. What, 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 what? I walked in, stoned as hell. White lines, gold gazelles. Hotel on sunset. Young hoes get undressed. Dark dick ain't done yet. Insert the clip and get the gun wet. Enough said I'm radical. T-shirts say party animal. I ain't no amateur. This ain't no hands across America. I shine like Morrissey on Hennessy on Christmas Eve. No, not more like Morris Day on Hella Yang. Dressing gay. I live through the 80s. And shit was crazy. Everybody wanna know my name. Bring the pain and pop the champagne. Every girl wanna hold my chain when I fuck their brains out on the mascot. Gold chain.
stop paging me. Like blueberries and uh, just some protein powder. So and kale be- and spinach. All right, yeah, here's to you, brother. To good health, brother. Mmm, <laughs> mmm. It's more of a juice than a smoothie. It's a little light, but it, I like that better. I don't That's like good. it too thick. All right, I'm in Venice, drinking a fucking kale smoothie as one does in Venice. There you go. With Simon Rex, like me. You have two first names. Yeah. Well, Chris my, Ryan, Simon Rex. Yeah, it works. Uh, but my full name is Simon Rex Cutright. Uh, but Cutright, that's a last name. That's a, that's a last name if I was a theater actor in England. Which or I'm a not, cowboy. Or a cowboy. Yeah, yeah the Cutrights, Cartwrights, and Courtrights are all descendant of the Cortez family. When I, I did my DNA test recently and the found Cortez? out. Yes, yeah, so I'm actually Spanish. I'm a You're a fucking conquistador? I'm Basque. Yeah. And I got to go there to see it. You've never been to Basque No, I haven't been, so no. I want to go now that I know I'm 30% Basque. That's a great part of Spain. Yeah, I've heard. Great food. That's what I've heard. They just... Really interesting culture, too. Yeah. In the Basque country, the, the men do the cooking. They have these private clubs where the men go hang out. Uh, you know, And one day a week, women and children are allowed in the club. So what the, what the men do is it's like that's where they go... You know, instead of going and hanging out in a bar, that's where they go hang out with their buds. They play poker. And they in bullshit. the kitchen, basically? Yeah, and they cook for each other. That's great, man. Because every yeah. party you go to, you end up in the kitchen. And yeah. That's yeah. sort of the... It's like a, just a big kitchen that they all share. That's great. I and then go. one day a week, yeah. the families come and the men cook for the families. I'm going to go there by myself because I just recently got the Buddy Pass, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with this, I have United Airlines. I got one from a friend that basically I bought off them and I can go anywhere, standby, first class, if there's room on the plane. Hmm. And I live 10 minutes from the airport, so I could just go online today and say, oh shit, there's a, a first class seat to you know, Basque San or Sebastian. whatever, and yeah. just go. And, yeah. and then if I don't get on the plane for whatever reason, I can just come home 10 minutes away. So I'm going to do a lot of traveling this year by myself. That's a good really idea. You can't plan anything. You got to just right. go wing it. Right. So one carry on. I'm yeah. going to go see some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> traveling alone is great. Yeah. I love traveling alone. I, I spent about 15 years traveling alone. You learn more world. about life than in a book. And yourself. I mean, these days, yeah. traveling alone isn't quite the same with phones and shit because yeah. you're never really alone. Right. True. You know, you're getting a text from your mom every five minutes. Right. But when I was doing it, man, I mean, I've told these stories before on the podcast, but when I first went, it was like mid-80s, and man, I had a shortwave radio. I was in Kashmir in northern India, and I was like trying to tune in my radio and picking up the BBC cricket scores. Right. I don't know shit about cricket, but right. it was in English. You right. know, like, wow, okay, what, yeah. if there's a nuclear war in Europe, I'll hear about it here. Right. It's like... That was I was so far away, and these days you can't really get that far away. Yeah, that's why actually I like traveling some places because you'll get to another country and your phone can only be used at Wi-Fi areas. Oh, so then you can only yeah, use it unless yeah. you immediately get the plan and get set up, but I'd prefer not to. So I'll just use it at the hotel or at a cafe, right. and that way 80% of your day you're in the moment yeah. and you're not just yeah. on your phone looking at social media like a robot, Yeah, which we all do. <laughs> All right, so you, the, the way we met is kind of funny. Yeah, uh, through social media. Through social media, yeah. Like, and it's also a funny thing how someone can be pretty famous and you still, like so many, 
the fame seems to be democratized now. Yeah, you know, with the social media yeah. thing. So you you tweeted something like I I was as informative as Dan Rather in the eighties, yeah. which yeah. is fun. oh, is that what I said? I yeah, like it was funny. Did. I like oh, that. Good. Okay, that's good. hilarious. Good. Uh, and then somebody follows me said, oh, you should have uh, Simon on the podcast. And I was like, well, who the fuck is Simon? Right. And then I looked, and then I followed the link to your right. rapping, right? And, yeah, yeah. Without, which is hilarious. Oh, good. I'm glad. You and then it. your show. Uh, typically Rick or Typical Rick. Typical Rick. Rick. Yeah. Which is fucking really well done, oh, man. Good. Thank you, man. Really that means well a lot done. Because I helped. Uh, and your favorite line was an improv. I remember I added that uh, because we were allowed to improv on set because it's just me and my buddy Nick Swartz. And, uh, that and really, you, you came up with that? Yeah, up. right that there on the so phone. We kept funny, it. I got, I got to improv a lot. And uh, So set know. it up. So, so your buddy's sort of like a, a bit of a schlub. Yeah. And you guys went to high school together right. and you move out to L.A. together. And you play the like super cool, but kind of clueless, but everything works out for you because right. you're good looking and you know how to, you, you know how to play the game almost instinctively. Yeah, that's ba- the the idea was me and Nick Swartzen were sharing our uh, stories about. Our, I'm from the Bay Area and he's from Minnesota, and we were both talking about how our nightmare stories when friends from back home have come to LA and we've taken them out into the Hollywood world and yeah. they didn't know how to act. Right. Basically, the plus one from hell, right. who embarrasses you because they can't handle that situation. Right. Yeah. So we were just sharing stories. He's like, "Dude, we sh- this is the show. Yeah. You know, this is a good show." And he just went and pitched it with a bunch of other stuff to Comedy Central. And usually, you at least need a paper pitch which is just written down on the page with episodes, ideas logged out, everything, and, or a visual pitch where you shoot a spec. But he just right. threw it out there in the room, and they said, we love it, let's make it, you know? Yeah. So it, that's, that was basically the, the, the foundation of the show was the plus one from hell. So I played the plus one from hell, but instead of, we're both from Iowa, and he decides to move to L.A. in his 30s a little late. But wait, you're the plus one? He's the plus one from well, hell. Well, no, I think it was supposed to be, I guess it could be applied to either of us, but when he brings me into these places, like, I heckle him in the comedy club. Yeah. Or I, <laughs> you know, I end up getting laid with all the chick. Like, yeah. I, he brings me around, I'm just kind of riding along for the, right. along, along for the ride, yeah, that's and true. I get I all the benefits yeah. without yeah. meaning to fuck him over. Right. So that's the hard part to, yeah. not hard, but that was the, the part we didn't want to cross that line of me doing it intentionally because right. then I'm an asshole and you right. can't root for me. Right. I'm just dumb. It's like, oh, he doesn't, right. he knows not what he do. Yeah, you're, you're kind of clueless. Yeah. But clueless, but it's strange because you're clueless, but like I said, you sort of instinctively know how to play the game. Yeah. So you're, you keep coming out on top, but you're not, like you say, you're not intending to fuck over your buddy. Right. And you don't know, like, there's that thing where he he's uh, he's reading for a part, and you go along, you know, yeah. for the ride, and, and you're just hanging job. out in the yeah. waiting room, and right. he freezes up because he's so he takes it so seriously, and you and now see, I think there's a deep lesson in this that you get they call you back. I don't know if you get the job or not, but they call you back because you don't give a fuck. You took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, uh, the I, power in real of life. Not yeah, absolutely. Shit. So my whole life, I've really had a, a good amount of su- moderate success. I've done well. I've had a very blessed life because I didn't give a fuck. Right. So now I'm 42 years old. I have the dreaded conscience now because I do give a fuck, <laughs> and I'm learning how to cruise through life as easily by caring, which is an interesting thing because you get older and you. 
you know, at least I'm, I, I want to be cognizant of my actions. And in the past, I was just reckless with women's hearts and I was really selfish and I mm. didn't give a fuck. Mm. And I'd walk in audition stoned and book it. Mm. And, you know, after 20 years of living like that, you say, wait, you know, I, I guess I got to grow up. So I'm taking those steps to do that. And I'm, I'm just learning how to adapt to I'm learning how to not give a fuck, but properly properly it's weird but then you force it you there give is an art to it no it's interesting yeah, yeah so i don't it's it's i'm struggling with it a little bit but everything works itself out like, well you know the buddhist i think there's a buddhist expression like hold on but lightly you know i think that's you know the middle path and all right. that because yeah I, the middle way yeah 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 i mean it's like yeah you do you do want to take something seriously but only the right things yeah and even them, you don't want to take them too seriously because then you're clinging and then you've got like a, your heart set on a certain outcome and you're not going to let it develop organically. And, you know, you start fucking things up. Right. So letting go is big. Letting go or just but, never grabbing too right, hard. Or too know? much. Yeah, it's just it's that middle way. Yeah. It's true. Uh, so once you start overthinking it, then you're fucked. So that's another thing, yeah. too, is I'm, I'm really stepping back and looking at everything and uh, yeah. You know, that's it's it's just crazy, man. That's really how how life works. It's like, you know, if you're too desperate for a chick, she'll feel it, and it's a turnoff. Oh, yeah. If you she walk into it. a job audition and and you just look like you want the job, they're gonna be turned off by you. It's yeah. just human nature. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, although I mean, as far as things that we should give a fuck about, like you mentioned, you know, being cavalier with people's hearts and stuff, that that's an area that's worth giving a fuck about, right? You know, hurting other people and all right. that. I think it's more like ego fulfillment shit or success, you know. Uh, yeah. In conventional terms. Yeah, I guess that's less personal. You're not karmically going to be leaving a trail of broken hearts and uh, people being pissed off at you yeah. and in the past i've done that and it's just a shitty way to live and i did and then all of a sudden it catches up to you and you're, you you actually feel bad and you, you know i think it's just part of growing up and i'm a little late to the growing up party but i'm actually in uh, emdr therapy have you heard of this type That's of therapy? The eye movement thing yeah, yeah. um eye movement desensitization remission is oh. what it stands for and a couple of my i've been going to therapy my whole life and uh it's uh, it's a really effective shortcut and mm. it basically it was used for soldiers that have PTSD that come right. back from the war. I think it was started in the late 80s. And no one knows why it works, right? Uh, yeah, I don't understand why. brain but it's fuck. Yeah, it's a trip. It's basically something? like they're accessing the trauma stored in the hard drive, which is your, your, your brain. Mm. And, and it's uh, you could sit in a chair once a week for 10 years or you can go to 10 sessions of this and get some pretty quick results. It's it's fucking a trip, man. And in that, uh, during, during this process, I told my therapist, she said, can you, you know, she was asking me what I was. I said, I've been smoking weed my whole life and I've been kind of chilling out on the weed. So during this whole process, she said, do me a favor and don't smoke any weed because it'll affect this process if you're getting high. So I've just been really a clear channel, uh, and have, you know, remembering my dreams and, and analyzing my dreams mm. because when you smoke all the time, you're just sort yeah. of numb to everything. So yeah. that's all part of this growing up window that I'm in. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's just weird, man. Yeah. It's like, you know, life is even weirder when you're sober. It's like, <laughs> I, get, I get why people have a drink or smoke yeah. some weed is because you just need a break from that norm. So yeah. I've been just putting myself through it lately, but it's great. It's great. What led you to the e, e EMDR. EMDR. A friend of mine who uh, 
I just trust uh, recommended it, and she said there's someone that really she's from England, and her and her her fiance had both tried it and were very adamant about its results. Um, and they had a lot more traumatic shit happen to them than me. I really had a, a very blessed life. If anything, it was more like uh, quite normal. The dad left, you know, so it was more just only child growing up with the mom. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of shit that you got to deal with with those because we're all just walking around as ch- our grown up children and sort of wounded from the things that have happened. And dude, I had a great childhood. It's all good, but these people had a very traumatic childhood so they said it helped them a lot so i said let me just try it and uh i think we all have shit we need to deal with so it's just sort of you know looking at yourself under the magnifying glass and it's just it's good shit you know i like mm. it it's just it's uh i think it's important have you done hallucinogens uh yes i have yeah they're, yeah. they're often described the same way right like accelerated therapy i, I believe that yeah. it done in the right environment with the right people and if right. you're in a right headspace to do it you yeah. really got to approach it you can't be too cavalier with mm-hmm. taking something like lsd or mushrooms because mm. i think it's not for the weak-minded and um or just vulnerable you don't want to be feeling too vulnerable yeah. or fragile or it's, yeah, it's set in a, setting is the old uh, saying do you know it's, i think it's called um king warrior magician lover you know that book no it's a great book man you, you should get it uh i think you dig it it's basically about how we in the west have not we don't have any uh, rituals to become men mm. minus the military or maybe right. if you're jewish and you have um bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah yeah. We really don't have that too much. So yeah. most cultures since the beginning of time have had that. Even in Native Americans would sure. have peyote with their teenage kids, and that would Man. be the rite of passage. Vision. So I think we force ourselves, some people take it upon themselves, to force this becoming a man rich or becoming yeah. a woman self, uh, you know, done to yourself. Yeah. And it's, uh, you can, if, you, if you do it like that, I think you can grow a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you no, got to be more right. careful with the LSD, I think, because you don't really know what you're getting. Hmm. The mushrooms, you could sort of gauge it and be like, okay, I could do this amount, but you don't know what you're getting on a little piece of paper. So yeah. that's a little riskier, but yeah. yeah, you need to be in a good space, but I think it helps a lot. Yeah, that was, that was an important part of my education. I did a lot of that kind of stuff. I think, the, I think everyone needs to do it. Well, I mean, like you said, you know, it, it's not necessarily everyone at a certain time in life you know if someone close to you has just died or you're going through a difficult time you know that's not the time to be doing it and you know set in setting is what timothy leary right absolutely you know like your mental set should be relatively happy and healthy and you get you know you're feeling good and then your setting as you said who you're with where you are People take hallucinogens and go to a bar. Like, forget yeah, that's, it. That's You're just asking for trouble. And I think it was... Go to nature. Yeah, go to nature. That's absolutely it. And um, my buddy, uh, Certified Health Nut, the guy I told you about who came up under Paul Check, who's like a, my, my health guru guy that I go to, he's like, we just need to bring it back to connecting with nature because we're so disconnected from that fundamental element that fuck politics, fuck religion, fuck all this stuff. If we could just get back to that, I think we would be better off. And I'm never happier than when I'm somewhere beautiful. Yeah. You don't even need to be on anything. Right. You just feel good when you're in Hawaii or Lake Tahoe yeah. or wherever, you know, yeah. as opposed to being in, in a just city or watching something. watching the sunset. Man, it's crazy. I mean, I mean when, I'm, when I'm traveling, you know, like really traveling with a backpack and just going for months at a time, you become so conscious of what state the moon is in, you know, like, yeah, I remember in India, I, I would travel from full moon to full moon. So I'd be like, okay, I'm in, 
you know, I'm in Pushkar in Rajasthan in this desert and like, okay, next full moon, I want to be at the Taj Mahal. So I'd sort of plan out my trip, you know, and then I'd get to the Taj Mahal for the next full moon. And then, okay, next one, I'm going to be in Varanasi on the Ganges or whatever. And just like the whole thing was in sync with the phases of the moon. And then I come back to the States and I'd be living in San Francisco or New York or whatever. And months go by, and I don't even know what the fuck's going on with the moon. I haven't looked at the sky in three I months. I know, it's crazy. What it's the such fuck a is simple that? thing. Uh, that's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I've, been, I've had those same experiences. Uh, you just, yeah, it's a trip when you're just going by the stars like you were, or, you know, and yeah. you're, you're a little more cognizant of time and space. It's organic, you know, yeah. as opposed to this, like, wake up, set a fucking alarm. I don't use alarms. And it's one of, I mean, I, I sort of have this joke about how i make a hundred grand a year for doing nothing right because right there with you yeah i mean the way i look at it is like if i don't have to wake up to an alarm that's worth twenty five thousand a year hundred percent if i don't have to shave every day that's another 20 grand i don't have to wear like a suit and tie that's 30 grand you know un- uncomfortable shoes that's 20 grand i mean i'm starting right with- no those are priceless things <laughs> your <laughs> exactly, sleep is how important exactly. sleep is and, and to yeah. be woken up to some jarring sound and know you got to go to the yeah. 95 grind uh, i've been a cubicle evader my whole life and <laughs> i couldn't be i couldn't be happier uh you got to no that just something. was the speaker going off oh, um oh. So, yeah, no, that's there's so much truth to that. I, I'd even say it's there's more of a price tag on that if there even was one, because I'm pretty much the same minus these little stints where I'll have to go shoot something like typical Rick, where we'll mm. shoot that whole season in six days. You right. know? And I enjoy that work. Yeah, that's collaborative. I'm creating it's fun. with my friends. Cool, yeah. But that's when you got to set the alarm and shave and do those yeah, things. Yeah. But it's like, OK, once in a while, I got to do that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Or when I rarely have to sit in. Tra- I mean, I spend my life in L.A. avoiding traffic. Right. You know, uh, literally, <laughs> like I'll plan my whole day around not having to sit yeah. in traffic. And when I am in it, I just thank the lucky stars above me that I don't have to do that every day yeah. and be slave to that because yeah. I don't think that life is a life is a game and it depends on how you play it and I just don't want to subscribe to that grind and yeah if I could just make the money I'm making and live eat the food I want and travel I'm happy you yeah. know that's yeah. really all it's about you don't need a lot of things yeah and just moving to Venice recently I was telling you before it's interesting how I think your book talked about that a little bit too of how being a part of a community how mm. how much that does for you yeah. and how rich people aren't happy and there's so much truth to that all the rich people I know in LA are fucking miserable yeah. and I got people back home that I know that have nothing that are smiling all day long and you know I know that's an old cliche saying that money doesn't buy happiness and I think isn't there something that like 70 up to 70,000 what is right. that is yeah, that what it's it is it's about 70 grand in America that, right. that corresponds to increased happiness and then after that it doesn't yeah yeah I, I just yeah I, I don't I don't want to be you know I got friends who are very successful mind you some like I got one of my buddies back home isn't it funny sorry to interrupt no, you but isn't it funny how we use the term successful when what we mean is rich yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Because yeah, the whole point of what we're talking about right. right now is that they're not the same thing. Right. It's not. If success is measured in life satisfaction, yeah. then being rich actually works against you in a lot of ways because it isolates you. It it's makes like, you suspicious. Yeah, you, you were saying in the book, uh, it was uh, your wife maybe that was saying it. That was uh, not your wife, but a woman robotically repeating what your wife wrote. <laughs> Robotic. Um, yeah. Saying that, like in, I believe it's in Silicon Valley, someone mm. that makes $3 million is not happy because they're chasing the person that makes six million who's not happy because right. they're chasing that one percent who's chasing right. the 100 10 million isn't what it used to where be. does it end yeah 
Uh, I got a buddy of mine who's super successful real estate agent who's killing it right now so hard. He's never, I mean, multi, multi-millionaire. The guy didn't come from any money at all. He's sober and rich now and he's never been angrier. Yeah. He's really angry with the world and everything because he's just in that, you know, and he even said to me recently, he's like, man, I would trade lives with you in a minute. And I'm just in this little humble, tiny apartment yeah. in Venice. Yeah. And even he said it. He's like, are you kidding me, man? That shit I got to go through. And but you don't got to go through it, he's dude. Just, that's I, the I thing. Know. Well, he could quit now and win. Well, that's it. He could quit it. now and win. And I think he wants yeah. to. You know, Tim Ferriss, you know who he is? He, he's a big writer, podcaster. I know. He wrote the four-hour work week. Okay. Four-hour no, body, four-hour. when you turn me on to him, I'll check him Well, out. I'm not necessarily turning you oh, on okay. to him. But he, he wrote this book called The Four-Hour Work Week. And it was his first book. And... It was a mega bestseller, right? And one of the things he said in that book was, before you get into trying to make money, pick a number. Like, what, how much as money do you need? Oh, as a goal or as just as a realistic Like, a, a, that's your exit. Okay. That's, that's how much money you need to be happy okay. in life. Like, right. if I got $5, 5 million, then I can invest it. If I get 10% return on that, that's five hundred grand a year. That's more than enough. If I get, you know, half that, it's more than right. enough. So pick a number, and then when you get to that number, quit. Because the problem is, as you make more money, that number is going to keep moving away, and right, then you're just right. a hamster on a wheel. Right, absolutely. That but the problem sense. is, Tim Ferriss has made a lot of money, and he right. hasn't quit. And how many hours a week do you work <laughs> making that book? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't mean to be giving him shit, but it's just, no. he's a great example, because he, right. he pointed it out right. in the book, and now here he is, you know, he's writing more and more books, right. and yeah, working harder and harder. But yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I, the way I look at it, I retired like right out of college. I was like, that's it, I'm retired. I, I, I'll work someday if I have to, but if right. I can figure out how to get through this. I did well, that right out of high school. Oh, you're way ahead <laughs> yeah, of me. Yeah, pretty man. much. Uh, Actually, your Wikipedia page, I, I really resonated with it because you've done so many different things. I've been in a lot of circles. I've been lucky, man. I got to do the fashion world, which of all industries was the most fucked up. Because I've been in the music industry. I've been in Hollywood. I've been around a lot of scenes. I'm recently working in the surf industry with Weed Maps. This app that's like the Yelp for marijuana dispensaries. And my friend works there. And I recently Uh just got on the payroll to travel with these surfers and skaters and be the lens uh, catching the moments. Pretty much in between surfing and skating, a lot of people like to see what their heroes are doing when they have lunch and things like that. And I'm sort of the comedian lens to capture these moments and right. bring the funny out of them so I'm on like the surf skate team nice. so I get to go into that, that surf world when we're chasing the summer and just on the beach all the time and I said you guys got it figured out man. Yeah. This, you guys did it like this is yeah. it it's a super small very money making industry uh, but they're just constantly chasing yeah. the summer yeah. you know, I got a friend who's a pro snowboarder and he could have been a pro surfer and one day he said what the fuck am I doing I'm chasing the cold I could have been on the beach right. around girls in bikinis not you know yeah. it's a whole different jam but of all the scenes I've been around uh, the fashion industry was the most fucked up that was just some weirdos uh, <laughs> but I got to live in Europe it was great I moved to I got to live in Paris Milan and New York and just danced around there yeah. as a twenty-year-old. You never came through Barcelona. I not not until I was older, and I just went on my own just to go check it out. But no, no it was mostly Milan, Paris, thing. New York is where you you'd work or at least you know be doing that rat race, and that was yeah, man. It was like uh, 
I, instead of going to college, I went to Europe and New York, and I just was. Well, see, I knew all your friends. I I had a girlfriend who was a actually my ex-wife who was a model, and then she was a booker at a modeling agency. Which one? It's a small uh, circle. Uh, well, it was in Barcelona. Oh, okay. It was called Group. Okay. Um, yeah, it was never pretty, really there. It was a pretty big agency. Anyway, when she and I were splitting up, it was very amicable, and, and I was traveling a lot. I was in grad school, and I was traveling out with this professor who used to take me to all these conferences. And um, so when I was in town, I was still, we had this apartment together, and it was weird because, like, we had sort of agreed we were separating, mm -hmm. but I still slept there, and right. my shit was still there. Right. So I was like, you know, I just need a place to, like, get my shit out of your, you know, so you can live your life and, you know, not have me lingering around. Right. And she said, well, you know, there's this mansion where the fashion models stay when they're in town. I can talk to the woman there if you want. It's just a this bunch was of, in Barcelona? This is in Barcelona. And it was, she had converted this mansion into uh, studio apartments. And she just rented, it, rented the apartments to these models. There were like 10 apartments. So I met this woman. who's this crazy old lady, Anna. And she said, yeah, you can, you can stay here. So I ended up living there three years. I was the only non-model in the oh, house. Man. And it was this constant awesome. flow of yeah, fashion I, models coming through. It's unbelievable. Well, but like you say, they're pretty fucked up. The women are really fucked up. The yeah. dudes, I like to the, some of the dudes I became very close they're friends just with. guys and they're just like... We're, well, they get into it later. They're right. not making as much money. Right. You know, it's, it's one of the... Sorry to cut you off. It's thing. one of the only industries yeah. that women make more than men. Yeah. And, that in porn. And, yeah, yeah. They do. They Which make, I've also been in. Yeah. I'm an award-winning porn actor. I don't exactly. know if you knew that. Oh, that's amazing. I've got an AVN award. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> For what? <laughs> Biggest dick? <laughs> Smallest dick. Yeah, yeah. Smallest dick yeah. in a major performance. All right. No, um, similar. It was um, best non-sex performance. No shit. Yeah, that's my category. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what did you just, like you said, talked him on the phone and made him come? What did you just... <laughs> that would be a sex performance. Right. No, I played myself in a porn movie. Wow. Yeah. So the, the woman in the movie was a filmmaker making a film about like cutting edge relationship stuff. Uh -huh. So she interviewed me. Was this more recently? Yeah, this was last year. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I mean, I won last year, 2016. And uh, you've been in a lot of circles too. Yeah. Well, that's why I say you're, yeah. you know, when I looked at your Wikipedia page, it's like, yeah, this dude's done as many crazy things as I yeah, have. Yeah, I'm a jack off of all trades. <laughs> I was 18 years old. I moved to LA. I met this chick who was. Uh, this beautiful girl I met at, in San Francisco. And I was working at a potato sack factory, literally, a in Oakland. Sack. Literally, what working at a potato sack factory, cleaning bathrooms. No, it's these machines that make the sacks, and at the end of the week, they accumulate. If you've uh, ever bought a potato sack, but there's little holes punched into plastic bag. Uh, so these machines printed them all day long. At the end of the week, they'd accumulate these tiny little circles oh, that yeah. perforations. Right. And I'd get in there with a high-pressure blower and get in and clean that shit out, cleaning toilets, making 10 bucks an hour under the table. Right. Uh, and I did, you know, I was just living in the Bay Area. Like, that was a good job at the time. And, and I was doing telemarketing where you'd literally take out a phone book and just start cold calling. Oh, it's life insurance. That's the worst. The worst, okay? I used to knock on doors. Dude, that's bad. Okay. Ah. It's the worst job ever. Who wants yeah. to be sold? And, and literally, yeah. out of two pages, which takes a whole day, maybe one person that was old and senile would respond or something. Uh, and you felt bad. It was yeah, just a shitty, yeah. shitty job. So I met this girl who's, uh, who was really beautiful. And she was an aspiring model. And kind of like in typical Rick, I would be taking her to her auditions and I'd just be the guy in the waiting room. Literally, I never thought about it. It's mm. so similar to that episode of Typical Rick mm. where uh, 
I'm sitting in the waiting room and she, this girl I'm dating, who was trying to be a model, so she had a test book. She was beautiful, but she had a big scar on her face because she had a, her mom had a cesarean. So when she was born, they cut her face on accident, but it even made her hotter. But within the modeling industry, this is before CGI, or you right. could, or not CGI, but you know, uh, Photoshop. Photoshop. Yeah. So she wouldn't get jobs because of this scar on her face, which was the hottest thing about her. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, her and I, but going backwards a little bit, I would sit in the audition room taking her to castings and one day a casting lady comes out she's like who's that she's like it's my boyfriend send him in i never thought about this this is exactly like typical rick and uh they gave me the job and i went to milan and we broke up and i went my own way and the rest is history i wouldn't be sitting here right with you right no now had shit. i not taken her to that audition because they approached me i never asked for it i was just yeah. none of this shit in my life have i ever asked for right. it. everything fell into my lap from the modeling, which wow. led to me working at MTV years later, which right. they approached me and saw me in some thing and wanted me to. So I was a VJ for a couple of years. And then after that, Gus Van Sant, this famous director, sure. saw me on MTV. Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah. Oh, man, he's the best. Yeah. So he had me audition for Goodwill Hunting, which I bombed terribly in front of him and Matt Damon in 1995 in New York, 96. What role? It was just for a small role of a local bully who he beats up with a couple mm. lines. And I did this Italian accent or Boston Italian accent. And I just did terrible because I'd never acted before. Right. So that fell into my lap. And, he, and Gus said, you know, Simon, that was a really bad read. <laughs> I said, yeah, I've never done this before. He goes, I'm going to send you to an acting coach. You got something. So really? yeah, just go with it. So I would, went to this oh, acting shit. coach recommended by Gus Van Sant. So I got right in, started taking acting lessons and started doing TV and film. Everything just kind of led to the next without me saying, hey, I want to do this. Right. Then as an actor, you have so much downtime. Mm. that I started producing music. As you see, I got this little studio yeah. here. So it was a hobby. Yeah. A couple of my friends do it for a living. They said, oh, you want to make some beats? Buy this little keyboard. And I just started jamming. Then that led to me producing music for this guy, Mickey Avalon, and some other you know, people that were just my friends that I'd make beats for. And then in the studio, I'd be joking around, drinking, smoking, and I'd start freestyle rapping comedically. They're like, dude, get on stage with us. I'm like, really? Okay. That led to now, now me doing my own music path. Which yeah. is basically like stand-up comedy rap where I go do shows as Dirt Nasty, do a song, do some jokes, do a song, do some jokes, kind of like Sandler does, right. you know, without that much success. And everything just kind of happened. I've, yeah. I, I've been so blessed that these things fell in my, I think if anything, I was just good at jumping through the windows that were opened. Right. I didn't really go after much. Everything kind of just fell in my lap yeah and i've been so lucky because it's so crazy how life works had i never taken her to that audition that day if i would have waited outside or just waited in the car your life just goes another way it's yeah. so interesting and you don't think about it at the time because it's just happening you look back and go holy shit yeah so i remember reading this playboy interview with paul newman you, you know at the end of his career and he said you know People want to believe that there's a story, that there's a secret to success. He's like, no, man, it's just you only interview the people who get to a position where you want to interview them. Right. You know, so it's like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know how this happened. It's I, a lottery, I, man. Yeah, it's, it's pure luck. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of guys my age who are better looking than me, better actors than oh, me. Dude, it's they fun. just weren't in the room the day that guy. A hundred percent. I it's, know the guy. I have a friend of mine, Sam Lawrence, uh, does a podcast up in the Bay Area. He's a really cool guy. Uh, he was a bartender in Austin years ago and uh he was going out with this woman he was in grad school studying philosophy and he was going out with this woman 
And she came in one night with her friend and her friend's boyfriend. And as soon as he saw the, the boyfriend, he's like, fuck, I don't like that guy. The guy, he's like super good looking, very kind of sloppy, looked like he just got out of bed, didn't, he give, didn't a give a shit. He didn't give a fuck. Didn't give a fuck. And, this, and Sam was just like, fuck that guy, you know? And, but the guy, some, for some reason, took a liking to Sam and he kept coming, you know, he'd show up at the bar sometimes and, hey man, you know, whatever, and hang out. And eventually Sam got to like him, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he didn't want to. And the guy was studying, like, he wanted to be an actor and he was doing, like, night school or whatever. And, but he was, you know, he got high all the time. He wasn't really ambitious or anything. And so one night, Sam's working and there's this guy at the bar, drunk off his ass, and he is a casting director. He's in town working with, um, who's the guy who did Boyhoods? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the director? Or yeah, the, the director. Uh, oh. um, I can't think of his name. He's right. based in Austin. He's done a lot of right. shit. He's really good. Right. I can never remember his name for some right. reason. Anyway, so this guy's a casting director for him. And um, he's looking for someone to play... A guy who like graduated from high school three or four years ago and is still hanging around town and still like picking up the high school girls and kind of a kind of a creepy but good looking Matthew dude. McConaughey. Yeah, <sighs> fuck, that's awesome. So yeah, Sam calls Matthew uh-huh. and he's like, "Dude, get down here. This is your opportunity." Because he's a likable, good looking guy, though. At the end yeah. of the day, he's yeah. probably just insecure around a good looking guy's probably exactly his wife. Yeah, on yeah, whatever. You know, he was jealous. But he's awesome. Yeah, look at where he's but at that's now. The he thing. made that leap. And to Matthew like, was like, "No, dude, I just like I'm in my pajamas. I'm eating ice cream and watching Star Trek." Yeah, and Sam's like, "Dude, get down here." Here. Trust me, this is it. This is your moment. And he did, and boom, there you go. Cut to True Detective and all his other oh. Oscar-winning, what was the other one? That See, I have it? the same attitude toward Matthew McConaughey. I, I want like, to that? not like that guy. Yeah, but then but he brought it. Dallas Buyers Dallas Club? Dallas Buyers Club. Like, that and, like what that, the fuck, man? That and True Detective came out in the same year, yeah. and I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? And like Mud? This? Did you see Mud? Uh, yes, that was great, too. Really I mean, just, good. I heard that he said to his agents and managers... Fuck this. I'm turning down these rom-coms that you're sending my way because right. I really want to get something, you know, yeah. to sink my teeth into and win an Oscar. And they, they were, him. yeah, absolutely. And they said, this is going to be the death of your career. You're crazy. Right. And he sat around in Austin for a year yeah. with that script Dallas Buyers Club. And, and I think he ate one egg a day and, a, and like a soda oh, or something to lose, to lose weight. weight. And then they shot the movie backwards, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Same with Adrian Brody and the pianist. He told me when they shot that movie it went backwards so he because you lose eat. weight first and then you gain weight and they shoot it backwards wow. i'm not sure if that happened for that movie but either way kudos to him for saying fuck you yeah i'm gonna do it my way yeah. and he's turning down 20 million dollars yeah. a few times but you know what this gets back to what we were saying earlier he had enough money that right. he could afford right. Right. to to take risks right and the problem is people when they start off chasing money they say i want money so that i'll be safe so I don't need to worry about retirement. I don't need to right. worry my house is paid off. My kids are going to go to school, whatever. But then they get that money and they're already, and then they're locked in and they can't. Right. And the whole thing that money's supposed to buy them is the opportunity to do what the fuck they want to do, which is what he did. Absolutely. Good for him, And man. speaking of opportunities, sometimes I'll have to kind of zoom out almost like from a camera's perspective and really kind of look at it from above the planet and zoom into A, white American man, 
pretty much won the lottery um, on yeah. the planet for opportunities and right. maybe not happiness, but at least opportunities. I mean, there's people that are little eyes. islands that are, yeah, they're green technically. <laughs> uh, or, but, you know, you meet some people on an island in the middle of the Bahamas that are way happier than any yeah. white man in America yeah. that's going to have all these opportunities. But for opportunities, let's just mm. say white man, North America. OK, you already got the cards dealt on the table. Right. Then you live in California. Okay, you're one out of 50, maybe the luckiest place to live as far as everything goes. As long as it's not weather. Fresno. Right, exactly. There's some parts. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, if you're to be stuck in one state in the United States yeah. for the rest of your life, you might choose Pretty California. Good. Yeah. Then on top of that, now Southern California, where I live, the opportunities, I mean, you know, being in show business, whatever, it's yeah. just a good hand was dealt. Growing up in San Francisco, being in L.A. now, Pretty fortunate. I just played my cards right, I think. I just didn't self-sabotage and fuck it up, you mm -hmm. know? So it's interesting. Same with Matthew McConaughey. The window opened, he jumped through it, and then years later, he had the position to roll the dice a little and bit. And the wisdom. Yeah. The wisdom. Because, like, who who walks away from a $20 million movie, even if that's, it's going to yeah, make dude. you look like an idiot? You that's know? ballsy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely uh, that's a cool story. I, I, I root for that guy. I went from, I, I don't think I disliked him, but I just didn't care before. And now... Well, I just, I live, same with Brad Pitt. It's yeah. like, oh, another good-looking dude. He, like, he's, a, he's an actor because he's good-looking, but who gives a fuck? And then I saw him in... I saw him do a comedy role that he was really... I don't know if it was the Coen Brothers thing or, you know, the, the burn after reading... Where he plays like a gay guy in a gym. Um, I don't think I saw that. Oh, it's really, it's I good. Mean, but I smoked so much weed in my life that I'll watch a whole movie and at the last scene I'll be like, I've seen this before. Yeah, yeah, me Which too. is a good and a bad thing because you get to enjoy a movie again. But <laughs> It's like going through life as a dog. It's like every moment is, is fresh and Man. new. But, oh, Tom Cruise, same thing in uh, Tropic Thunder. Oh, dude, that was amazing. Holy fuck. Fucking brought it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm all geared up not to like that dude. But yeah. when someone makes fun of themselves that well... And Magnolia, too. Yeah. Where he's like the... The, the motivational speaker. Yeah. Uh, with uh, the ponytail. There's a lot to be said for self-deprecation. I think I've yeah. done that a lot as well. I've, I've poked fun at myself and not taken myself too seriously. If you're that good looking, you have to. If you, yeah. If you're... If you're like significantly better looking than the average person and you don't have that self-deprecating right. humor, right? Everybody's just like geared up to not like you. Yeah, it. it's yeah. true. It's I true. mean, I used to hang out. I said like I sort of live the life that your show's about mm -hmm. in a bit because mm -hmm. I would hang out with these models because mm -hmm. I became good friends with some of these guys, and we'd go like, you know, hey, hey Chris, we're going out, you know, you come on out. We go out to bars and stuff, and I learned a lot about women from these guys. Um, first of all, I learned like this idea that women don't chase men. That's not true. No, not at all. When you're hanging out with male and, models, women and, are chasing. And women nowadays, are, are throwing themselves. Like the guard switched, and women now are more aggressive than ever through social media and just kind of the world we're in now. Yeah, they're definitely going for it more than ever before. It's a okay, different world. But, but go ahead, continue. But well, the other thing that I became really good friends with a guy um, who. I mean, this guy looked like fucking Tarzan, you know, like really broad shoulders. He's part American Indian, part Italian or something. I don't remember. But like just fucking like the most sort of macho, manly uh, guy you'd ever imagine. He never worked out. He had these these marble balls that he'd have in his hands and he'd just stand out in the garden and roll the balls around in his hands and do these poses and fucking beautiful body, beautiful guy. 
This guy grew up on a farm in Iowa, I think. Very innocent, sweet guy. But, n but he looked like the most macho, like, lady killer imaginable, right. right? Right. And this guy was always brokenhearted. Constantly brokenhearted. Because he'd go to the Bahamas to shoot some, you know, underwear catalog, and it would be him and two Swedish bombshells. And he'd fuck one or both of them and fall in love. And then he'd be sending them poetry and shit and wonder why they weren't answering. Right? Right. Because he didn't look like who he right. was. Right. And like how many women don't look like who they are? Yeah. Not, they don't choose oh, yeah. to have That's big true. tits. Right. And like big lips right. and a big ass. And right. they don't choose all that sexual right. signaling right. shit. Right? right. So you might have this. I mean, a lot of my ex-wife, you know, had big tits when she was 13. And she's totally creeped out. Like, all these guys are looking at me all the time. I'm a 13-year-old girl, you know? So she grows up with all these complexes around it. Yeah, almost all my girlfriends, I, I'll just admit I'm shallow and I went for the attract, super attractive woman. And they're all kind of fucked up because yeah. they grew up in this bubble where the teacher treated them different, the other girls treated them different, the right. boys treated them different. Right. And then they get turned into adult and you mix a little fame and some success and some modeling or acting. Yeah. I, like, I don't want to date an actress ever again. Right. Like, it's a fucking nightmare. Like, I'm the only actress in the relationship. I'm the bitch waiting for the <laughs> You're phone the to ring. Or like, do, you know. So, it, well, it, it and also, work. and it's all built on a core of insecurity because right. if they're intelligent at all, they know that a lot of that attention and stuff that's coming there, the opportunities that are coming their way, they know they didn't work for it. They don't deserve it. It's just because they're hot. And for women at 30, I think that alarm goes off, like physically for them right. to have a baby. And also, Hollywood stops calling as much right. unless you're Meryl right. Streep. The phone right. ain't going to ring as much. Right. So there's always a 21-year-old young gunner coming around yeah. the corner that Hollywood's yeah. going to jump onto. Yeah. So it happens quick for ladies as men. Yeah. I mean, look, Jack Nicholson, like I think, modeling, did Easy Rider at 36. He was yeah. already bald and fat. And like, you know, so for <laughs> men, it can start much later, you know. Easy which, Rider was one of his first films, I think too. that was his yeah. first big movie. And Do you know already, his story? Do you know how he got into acting? Because um, it's a lot like, like what you were saying. Oh, is that right? What I, He I can't, okay. Now, I'm, I heard this secondhand. A friend of mine read a biography of him, and as he was reading it, he was like telling me these stories. But the story that I heard was that he came to Hollywood as a writer, and he was trying to write screenplays, and he wasn't having any success. He was sharing a, an apartment with some guy who was trying to be an actor. And Jack was about to give up and go home, and his roommate, his buddy, was like, dude, why don't you just come to a reading? Because Jack was really good looking as right. a young man, right? Like, come to, just, maybe you'll get a, a small role and, you know, make some money and you can hang on a while. So he went and he did a reading, and the producer said to him, or the director, whomever he was reading for, said to him, Mr. Nicholson, we don't need you for this, but if we ever need you, we'll need you very badly. Which is so prescient, because... I think what they were saying was, you do that really well. Right. It's probably all you can do. He's pretty much played himself in every movie, it. but He's his Jack. instrument's amazing. Yeah, his voice, exactly. his look. His and own. as he got older, he developed some range, yeah. but essentially, he's always Jack, right? And so... Then he got, I think Easy Rider was his first I think major role. think movie, yeah. And then he did Five Easy Pieces. And have you seen that? I don't think oh, so. Oh, it's a great movie. Five Easy Pieces. Really good movie. Um, and then Life Magazine commissioned someone to write a uh, you know, piece on this new up-and-coming guy, Jack Nicholson. 
And this, uh, the journalist went to New Jersey, I think, where he was born, and looked up his birth record to just like make sure his age, he wasn't lying about uh -huh. his age or something. And he noticed that the mother's name on the birth record was his Jack's sister's name. And he figured out that Jack, Jack's oh, sister. Yeah, I heard this before. It was his mother, right? So what happened? So there's this couple. They've got a daughter who's that's like right, 15 right, or 16. She gets pregnant. They pretend the kid is theirs. And so he didn't know that he didn't know this till he was 20 years old or something. Right? Maybe 30. Later. Oh shit! You know, this was after oh, that's Easy Rider. Yeah, the journalist the, comes to that's him. That's fucking and crazy. And like, Mr. Nicholson, do you know this? And and he, Jack was like, I didn't know that. I'd really appreciate it if you don't publish that. Can you do his voice when you say that? I didn't know that. That's better. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, that's a I can't crazy do it story. Yeah. I, I didn't and know then, that detail. And then that. add the layer of Chinatown, which is about right. the, the mother is the sister. Is the, uh, it's fucking crazy. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. Life imitates art, which imit it just never ends. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. What a story. Um, I mean, he's so awesome. Remember him one year, he won the Oscar and he came out and he's like, I just took a volume, I feel great. And he's just telling, like, he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm sure when that came up, he probably cared about yeah. that and it did something to him. But, man, that guy. But he's also, like, he's developed the persona, almost like Hunter S. Thompson in some sense, but he, he reels it in a little more. But the the sort of persona of not giving a fuck. So he could say, right. I just took a Valium, and everyone laughs because right. that's so Jack. Who's the guy behind the curtain, though? Yeah. Yeah. I have did a, he really? Maybe he's joking. I, I, I don't want to say the girl's name, but I, I was hanging out with a girl who used to date him, and she was way under half his age. And I lived on Mulholland and Laurel Canyon at the time, and he lives on Mulholland, like right near Bel Air. Mm. And when we were hanging out, me and this girl... She would say, when she'd come up to my house, she's like, we have to avoid Mulholland. Like, we'd be going on a date somewhere at the beach and it, or wherever we were going. And she'd be like, you have to drive way around. I'm like, do you really think he's going to see us? She's like, yes, he would. Right? Like, he's crazy and he was obsessed with her and all this crazy shit. Like, because, he's like, I don't know, like in his house at, looking out no with binoculars. But she was so freaked out huh. to even go near his house. And then many years later, I was hanging out with this actress, crazy chick, and she's like, can you drop me off at my friend's? And, I was, and she's like, he lives right down the street, and it was fucking Jack Nicholson's house. So I drive in, I'm like, oh shit, I remember this house, because she had mentioned it, and it's just, I, I don't know how I put it together. So as we drive up, and I'm dropping this girl off, I see literally the man behind the curtain. I see Jack peel back the curtain <laughs> and look out, and see this young guy dropping this girl uh -huh. off, and him sort of, you know, and he was just like this madman behind the curtain. <laughs> and I was just, you know, trying to play it cool around her. But I'm like, this fucking, gym. you know, yeah. she's probably going to bang him or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. That's funny. So I wonder who, what is really going on. But that dude's, uh, either way, he's awesome. Well, a friend of mine, similar situation, a friend of mine who grew up in Hollywood has a friend who apparently is pretty close to Jack. And uh, he was recounting this conversation that like he's I guess at these days I don't know how old he is now he's mid 70s 107 probably. yeah he's, he's up there but you know he's I guess he's like kind of lonely but uh, you know because he he hasn't been right he had never anyone. had a kid oh he has a kid he has a kid does he have a kid yeah I've seen him at the Lakers game on the sideline with them but uh, yeah but I mean he, I think the most 
sort of long-lasting relationship he had was with Angelica Houston, right. and that was in the kind of applies 70s. to your book in a lot of ways. He's just you know, yeah, looking for that field. A player. Yeah. I don't want to make this about you and your book because I know you're interviewing me, but there's so much I want to. That's yeah, a conversation. Talk. Okay. Man. Yeah, we, nobody's interviewing anyone. Okay. I, cool. I just. It, yeah, it's... your book. It was so crazy because uh, it really spoke to me on so many levels. I'm 42, no kids, never been married. My mm. little brother's 28 years old. He's about to get married. Mm. Uh, and you look at someone like Jack. And we live here in L.A. on Temptation Island. Like yeah. it's never fucking enough. There's yeah. always. Like, it's so hard here because yeah. the good-looking people are everywhere, and your opportunity. You know, a man's only as faithful as his options. Perhaps I know Chris Rock said that, Chris and I Rock, thought that was yeah. pretty true. And poor you Chris know, Rock, his latest tour is all about how he fucked up his marriage oh, and how really? sad he is. Oh, I didn't now. know about that. Yeah. Well, his last stand-up bit before that, he was saying how boring it is to be married. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, he said you can choose between uh, lonely and boredom yeah <laughs> now the question is you know I'm if you were to just ask me if I'm happy I am I feel like is it society and parents and, and peers that make you feel like like amongst my friends back home they're all married and had kids and divorced and some of them are like dude when are you gonna you know hunker down and some of them are like never we're living through you are you kidding me right. like we need you to keep having fun and be you know don't right. do it it's a trap right. and I got like maybe one of my ten friends I grew up with is happily married and really figured it out and is genuinely happy but the other nine yeah they're either getting fucking sued by their ex-wife who took the kids and cheated on them I yeah. mean it's so fucked up and I know you know I don't want to live in a fear-based mindset yeah and not go for it because I'm afraid of the results right. I mean I grew up and my mom and dad divorced when I was two my mom had a series of bad guys in her life so I'm programmed to see marriage fail so you had the like angry stepdad yeah in the house drug addict and, stepdad yeah. alcoholic so I was going to like Al-Anon meetings and AA meetings when I'm 10 in Oakland like I how do I like why I didn't sign do you know Moshe Kasher I do do you? Yeah, he's from Oakland, yeah. yeah. I grew up in San Francisco and Oakland. Yeah, so. Did I, and he was going to Allen on meetings when oh, he was I didn't, 14 and 15. Oh, I didn't know. Because of his drinking or his parents? His drinking. He was angry. Oakland could be depressing. Both his parents are deaf. He might have worked at a potato sack factory. <laughs> he may have. Uh, yeah. I didn't know. I think I did know that. He Does he do a bit about that? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, he probably does. And he wrote a book called Casher in the Rye. Uh -huh. And he was like a hardcore drug addict. Is he sober arrested. now? Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, you're, no. So you're talking what about the, the series of stepdads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so I've grown up. And so you I've grew up in this hand. kind of fractured family right. scene. Right, yeah. right. So I, I've seen it fail over and over. And then I see, I just kind of see the data and the results of like what really happens. I think the divorce rate in California is over 60%. I mean, mm. what, so part of me is, I don't want to, like part of me just wants the experience. Like, of course, one day I, I would like to have kids. I think that's one of the meanings of life is that you want to like watch another you grow up. But I'm, I'm selfish. Yeah. I want to jump out of an airplane. I went sky diving recently hmm. if I had a kid I probably wouldn't have jumped out of an that's airplane that's it man you know what I mean so part of me is like finances you, if you have a kid you gotta like get it's a, a big deal. thing going on it's, a, yeah. it's the biggest decision you'll ever make and I don't take that lightly which is yeah. why I've never been married or had kids yet yeah. because like once you do that I know that I will be really there for my kid and I would at least I'd like to think I would yeah um and I just have a hard time subscribing to being with the same woman for the rest of my life so part of me wants it would be cool if there was like some open-minded girl that's like, oh, we could have a kid and we'll do our own thing. And but then, 
is that good for the kid? I mean, there's so many layers yeah. to this cake. Yeah. It's a crazy one because it's such a big deal and you see so many people rushing into it. I know the people that married their high school girlfriend. I'm like, yeah. dude, there's a whole world out there. Like, you're just gonna settle for that little island we were on and, and yeah. when we were 16 years old? I mean, how do people decide at 18 what they want to major in in college, much less, I mean, I don't know what I want to do now next. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So it's a big deal. Um, and also, you don't want to do it for egotistical reasons. I mean, I have so many friends who, like, no, I want to have a kid because that's an experience I want to have. Like, what is the, it's right. all about you. Right. What right. about the kid? Like, right. And again, I think I, I'm just being honest with myself. Uh, it might be selfish, you know, of yeah. me to have these thoughts. But um, I think on one of your podcasts, I listened to a couple of them. Uh, you were talking about this topic. I think it was about, uh, you know, having kids and how most people make, make you feel like you got to have kids. I mean, I think the world will continue on without a couple dudes not having a kid. <laughs> I think so. Uh, a little better, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, it's that's a that's a hot topic for me because. I think it's not just, not just the rules of society and what you hear amongst other people, but just uh, uh, as as a guy. I mean, look, Mick Jagger just popped one out at seventy three with a ballerina. I mean, what the fuck? Like, like what guys? Three we, years after his girlfriend killed herself. Oh, oh heavy yeah. shit. There's a crazy situation. Yeah, it's yeah. so it's 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 like you know you could pop one out in whatever chapter in your life maybe you, you know you won't be able to be as involved in that throwing a football around with them as much if you're 22 <laughs> to 52 or whatever it may be yeah. but uh we're in a unique situation as men where you know you could do that a little bit later for women not so much yeah you know they got to pop that out pretty what by i'd imagine around 30 before the health the health factors come into play it also comes into play for men the older the man is the more likely that the kid's gonna have uh so do i freeze issues. my jizz what do i do freeze your jizz really yeah, yeah. Do you, just put uh, it in okay. there next to the ice cream okay rocky road <laughs> you know because it'll be a rocky road once you <laughs> pop it out uh but no, I, I think there's, I wonder, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get a vasectomy. I, I should have done it 30 years ago. Because I, I always knew I didn't want kids. Right. It was never really an issue for right. me. See, I struggle. I go back and forth. Part yeah. of me is just like, fuck that. I'm cruising. Like, I want to be able to go. Like I was telling you, I got the airplane taken and I could go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to be able to do, I, I want to, I still feel like there's so much so to do you, see. Do you think so that you'll do. get to a point where you're like, okay, I've done enough traveling now. I'm ready I mean, to settle down. When do, when do you do, when is that going to happen? Yeah. I mean, I've been I a lot know. of places. People always told me I'd get there. You know, Dude, like, oh, got, it's a phase. It's a phase. Like, I don't know. I'm 55. When's this phase end? Right. You know? I got wanderlust like a motherfucker. I just yeah. want to go see the world and have experiences. And it's not about going and just hooking up with chicks like that. It's really about going and tasting the food and walking yeah. through those cities. And to me, that's life. I mean, but I mean, for me, women have and I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, but for me, relationships with women have been a form of travel. I really liked, I mean, when I was with a Spanish woman or a Japanese woman or, a, you know. It was abroad. It, it was, well, I mean, even even if it wasn't, but I don't mean just ethnically. I mean, like someone who was from that culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a way of traveling. It's a way of getting right. into oh, another world right. and seeing how someone else thinks, like totally different. I, in other words, to me, a lot of the, I mean, of course, hooking up with women, a lot of it's just feels good but a lot of it for me like i'm not attracted to like white american women right they're yeah, at the no. bottom of the list for me yeah that's a tough one for me too i feel like uh, uh i'm gonna offend some women yeah i feel like <laughs> i just did i feel like uh, in american there culture, are exceptions of course well, of but. course no there is exceptions but generally speaking i think american women as a whole um 
they don't do as much and expect a lot compared to yeah. other cultures yeah. where maybe, but I don't want to be a barbarian and oh, you stay in the kitchen and clean the clothes and I'll right. go to work. It's, uh, but in, uh, generally speaking, you go to Europe and I remember learning this when I was 19 and I lived in Paris. I, I hook up with this beautiful model and I'm just like, you know, like, what the fuck? Is this really happening? She's on billboards. She was like a beautiful model. Yeah. And the next day, this is before cell phones or internet. So you just, I just went leisurely by her apartment in Paris. And I ring the doorbell and come up and she's like annoyed with me. And I come inside and she's got another dude there right. just the next day. And it was just like, oh, and I was like, oh, okay. You know what? Okay. Like, I, that's how it is here. It's a different mindset. Like, they're not as... She was French. They, yeah, she was French. Oh, right. Yeah, she was French and in Paris. Yeah, I didn't think about that. She didn't move there. She was a French girl from Paris. And it was just such a, a it was such a slap in the face, but right. it was a good slap in the face. And she wasn't apologetic Not about at it. all. Yeah. And it was, it was more that I, who am I to just come by her place like that? But again, yeah. we didn't have the technology. Yeah. It was just landlines back then. Yeah. And yeah, it, that was an eye-opening experience for me. I was like, oh, that's just how it is here. And I also remember in Europe learning from a girl. I was like, oh, yeah, sex to us is not, or in Brazil, it's like that too. You go yeah. down there and I met this girl in Brazil and she, I, I had no idea. And she turned out to be a, a prostitute. You know, she's just hanging out normal. There was no prostitute vibe. And she explained to me, I'm like, really, do you mind me asking like, what's this about? She goes, oh, most of the girls down here do this. <clears throat> Sex to us is not a big deal. We, my, my father's encouraging me to do this so I could save money to start a business with my family. Yeah. It's just okay. Like, yeah. it's just basically okay da for the dad to go say, go do it. And I, sex is not a big a deal in other cultures yeah. as much. Yeah. I feel like American, where we, we, we're really fucked up. And your book talked about that, too. I think it was like the uh, people that are really raised in a strict Catholic environment have more, I don't know if it was like cervical cancer or whatever it was. There was something mm. that, there was some stat that was like, you know, because yeah. they're so, it's why there's so much molestation with priests and right. other things, because they're so freaked out, like God wouldn't want you to pleasure yeah. yourself and touch your body. It's like fucked up. Oh, oh I know what you're thinking about. The, the, the masturbation, the, the guys yeah. who masturbate more as teenagers have less prostate cancer. And General Motors 50s. owns porn, oh, yeah. makes more money on porn <laughs> than selling cars. Yeah. There's some crazy, there's so much data to absorb in that book. I mean, it's going to take a, I'm, I'm going to read the book next. I crammed it by getting the audiobook because uh, I was so fucking interested in it. Um, How'd you hear about it? Uh, actually, my buddy, I told you about Certified Health Nut, Troy Casey. Oh, he's yeah. a friend of mine that I was, I was doing a cleanse with him for 10 days, and he's like, oh, you got to read this book. Uh, and he gave me a couple books. There's another one right here. The I Way of the Superior was, Man. Yeah. He Marcus Aurelius. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I just Aurelius. That's a good one to just yeah. pick up and read. Um, I really like the uh, Stoic philosophy. It's a very Eastern philosophy for yeah. such a Western culture. How yeah. It really is. Not just because the word meditations, but just how they look at life as a, the bigger picture of nature yeah. and just kind of letting go and going with the flow of things right. if you go against the current. And just nature is a big factor in it, too. Felt a very yeah. Buddhist, a lot of kind of yeah, similar... Yeah, um, you're right. That's Buddhist. And the thing about that element of Buddhism is pretty much any... You know, any wisdom, path toward wisdom, comes to the same conclusion, which is like pay attention, 
right now is all that really exists. Right. You know, I mean, if you've read any Thoreau or Emerson, the American transcendentalist, Ralph, Wal- Wal- Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson. I did read one of his books, but yeah, I mean, it's the same bad. kind of stuff. It's all nature. Right. It's all about pay We're attention. We're talking about that before. Yeah, get into your sensations. You know, be in this moment. And I don't want to be too the Eckhart Tolle about it, but it's true. Like the power of now. Like that's yeah. some real shit. I think he just yeah. took an older thing. Like I, I was, I liked that book, but then when I saw him talking, he looked like the bad guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Nazi who had the thing oh, burned really? on his hand and melted. <laughs> like he just looked like a melting Nazi to me that <laughs> freaked Nazi. me out. And I don't think it's just because I'm Jewish that I have that hardwired in me, but there was something about that shit that just, he looked too much like him in his accent. He just sounded like he was right off of the Auschwitz camp. Yeah, uh, but good. yeah, so he, it's interesting. So even in your case, like it was, I think I was, I was, Turned on to your book first, and then I forget how, I just went down a YouTube wormhole of your stuff, and I watched a few of your interviews, which is a good way to get to know an author or somebody, is to mm. get, just to really see what they're about. Oh, yeah, you were I, watching the, the Young Turks thing. The Young Turks, yeah. I watched you on Rogue, and I think I saw the moment that he planted the seed in your head that you should do a podcast. I think it's uh, before you started yours. He's like, you'd be really good at this. Uh, and then I, I was probably from years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Well, he and Duncan sort of got right. me into it. I think do, it was that do episode. You know, do you know Duncan Trussell? Yeah, I, I don't know him, but I know him. Yeah, he's. I like his vibe. He's, he's out hilarious. There. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a funny dude, and he's tapped into that spiritual. Like yeah. I've done the Kundalini yoga, and I've kind of d- went down that path. My dad is a new age hippie. Oh, so my, do you know your dad? I, I do know him. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's ironic because he teaches. I, I, people use the word ironic wrong all the time, which was one of my pet peeves, that in espresso, and when it's espresso, espresso. especially the person that works at the Starbucks, <laughs> just look up, bitch, like, what do you do? Uh, but, uh, 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 what, what was I just saying? Uh, your dad's a new age yeah, hippie. Yeah, my dad's a new age hippie who I grew up visiting once a year when he lived in Hawaii or New Mexico or whatever hippie place he lived. And he taught a relation, or still does teach, relationship enrichment courses. Yeah. But he, he couldn't have a relationship with his son, but he's teaching people how to have rich relationships. So to me, I've always been a little weary of that new age hippie shit because yeah. I've watched firsthand yeah. how it's, I just didn't believe it. Yeah. But there is some truths out there. And I think Ram Dass, the guy that he goes on retreats with, Duncan, yeah. Yeah. he's the real deal. I've listened to a couple of, seen his stuff. Yeah. I, I, I think he's got some truth. Um, but especially in that world it's just like uh, i don't know but there is some real shit out there and, and kundalini yoga is one of those things that i've had firsthand experiences that you can go and get into that pineal gland without smoking dmt it'll take longer you could do the shortcut kind yeah. of like the emdr i was talking yeah. about or you know you could go to kundalini yoga and really kind of tap into some shit on a on a human level and uh, so it's interesting. Uh, again, I, I don't, most of it, I, I think is bullshit when you just see you know, these gypsies and hand reading and all that shit, but there's some truths out there yeah. in that world. And I think Duncan has figured some of them out. Cause when I watch him talk, he's connected with similar things that I have too. And, and what I love about Duncan is like, he's in that world, but he never loses a sense of humor. About right. It, right. Which is key. I and mean, if somebody doesn't have a sense of humor about it, I just got no time for yeah, it. Yeah. You know? I know to take that seriously is just a lot to deal with. You take uh, anything seriously. hundred percent. There's, um, I, I always quote this coach. You may have even heard it in one of those interviews you watch, but it's one of my favorite quotations this coach who was being interviewed some great football coach and they said like what's the secret to being a great coach and he said the key is to be smart enough to understand the game but not smart enough to understand how little it all matters that's deep 
That's, that's some real shit. Yeah, I mean, you can apply that anywhere. So he's a coach for sports, or oh, yeah, okay. he was not a like a life coach. I mean, he was no, a, he's football a football coach. coach. Okay, yeah. But but shit. when I read that, I was just like, fuck, that says it all, right? Yeah, there, you dude, know? it does. It's like, you know, if you're in that sort of mid zone where you got the game figured out and you know how to win it, but then you take it to the next step and you're like, why am I playing this game? Right. What what's really in this for me? You know? Right. Like yeah. I remember, uh, there's this study where they had um, men. So they've got the same men. In some photos, they're wearing just sort of like casual bullshit clothes, whatever. Uh, and the next, uh, another photo, they're wearing like a suit and tie, right? So they have all these women look at the photos and rate the men how attractive they are, or how much they want to know the guys, right? And the women consistently rate the guys higher if they're wearing the nice the suit and tie, right? right? But then they add photos of the same guys um, wearing like clothes they just like really don't give a fuck. So it's like group A, the photos group A, they're they're like wearing like nice clothes but kind of cheap and uh-huh. like not pulling it off. Mm-hmm. B is suit and tie, uh-huh. and then C is like they just don't give a fuck. Right. Like their socks is that what they're attracted to most? That's what. Right. So those are the guys. So there's guys who are losing at the game, guys right. who are winning at the game, and guys who have transcended the game. Right. And for a lot of women, those are the most attractive. I saw a similar test where they showed the same guy's face and they showed one guy with a ripped six pack and another guy with a, not a big beer belly, but he didn't care as much. Right. And they asked, who would you rather sleep with and who would you rather marry? And almost across the board, they wanted to marry the guy with the, you know, the little bit of a beer belly because that's the guy that would be more fun. Right. But then like your book said, you know, for that one night romp, they'll marry a guy who's like the... the they'll, they'll fuck the guy with the strong the, jaw. Right, and, that, and the yeah. leather coat at the bar. Right. But they'll marry the guy that's going to provide for them the materials that are right. needed and provide the child and the safety. And the, and the, it's like the, going back to the, you know, hunter-gatherer days where it was just about getting meat. And, and, right. and also, going back a little bit, that's like that, that communal living where everything was shared... Uh, you know, that's part of the weird psychology of me moving from my beautiful big house in the hills down to this tiny apartment, but I could walk outside, like walking to get my groceries and seeing the same people every day and being in this apartment community. Mm. I'm happier. Yeah. It's a trip. Yeah. It, it's not about square footage. It's yeah. about your environment. And here in Venice is one of the only areas in LA where you can ride your bike. Any of my friends who live in Venice, I'll see you in five minutes. Right. That's crazy. And it's healthy. Yeah, I'm by the know? ocean. You feel things. good. You, but you're you know? part of a community. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. Uh, again, growing up in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, in New York, you're constantly surrounded by such stimuli and yeah. such interesting people that to be like 13 years I lived up in the hills. And again, not complaining. I'm blessed. But I became a secluded weirdo. And socially, I'd find myself <laughs> going out and I'm just a little more like, wait, this isn't me. Like, I, yeah. you know. It's a trip. So what are you doing? You're shooting the second season now? Yeah. We're do, pre- do you guys write it as well? Yeah. Well, I, I you know, they, Nick and Nick, Swartzen and Goosen, the director, and Nick Swartzen, the guy who's in the show, they pretty much write the whole thing. And then on the day when we're shooting, I'll add some things. They'll let it slide. They, they trust that I can improv some stuff. Right. Uh, but I, I can, I'll come up with an overall idea. I'll pitch an idea for the show, but then they really go and really write it out together. Right. Right. Um, so... I'm more on the production side. I'm helping produce it and cast it. We just got Charlie Sheen in this next season. He's a friend of mine. I got him to do it. Who's just such a great guy. He's just willing to do it for no money because there's not a lot of. He's not going to make a payday out of this. Right. Uh, so we're about to shoot season two in a few weeks, and we're just in pre-production right now. So we're just 
literally going over wardrobe and casting and all these things. And then we shoot it all in six days. You shoot it in, on a set or? Yeah, we shoot it on location. Pretty much we'll rent an apartment uh, downtown, the apartment we were in. Right. Uh, we'll get the yeah, location. I, I thought when there was a, he was doing a stand-up act. Like, right. Like he, he was walking down Sunset yep. or something or Melrose. Yep, right by Chibo. Yeah, across the from Chibo, right? That's between Fairfax and La Brea on Sunset. And, and there's, was that like a comic book store yeah, exactly. and they have a stage in the back? Mm-hmm. They do comedy there. I was on that stage. Oh, no way. Okay, so you, you, you spot yeah, it. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I, I thought I recognized the spot. I forget what it's what, called. Did you do stand-up or did you do... <laughs> well, they, so I've, I've been on that stage a few times. I did... Do you know who Dan Harmon is? N- know the name. He's, he was the showrunner for Community. Okay. I mean, he created Community right. And, right. and then he got fired from his own show because he and Chip Chevy Chase had this. Chevy thing. Chase, I worked with. He's maybe the biggest dick I ever met in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Fuck that guy. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's what Dan Harmon said. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. But Dan Harmon's like this out of his way asshole. And then Dan Harmon, he, he did um, Rick and Morty. Right. Oh, that's that? a fucking it's hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's where I've seen the name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I met Dan Harmon at Duncan's birthday party one time. I went into the kitchen and uh, to get a beer, and this guy was there sitting at a table and. And he said, hey, he said, oh, you're that sex guy, right? And I was like, yeah. He said, what, what do you think? Like, is it weird that I watch a lot of porn and I, I like to jerk off even though I live with a woman? And, and the, his girlfriend's right there. And she's right. like, well, I don't mind that he watches porn. I just like, why is he jerking off? He could come and fuck me. And I'm like, uh, and I got a beer in my hand. And I'm like, well, you know, and we start talking. I ended up sitting there for like two hours talking with them. And, you know, they just like totally laid out their shit. And, right. And I, had, I didn't know who they were, right? And then they left, and everyone was like, that was Dan Harmon. Like, oh, who's Better Dan you didn't know, probably. Not that well, you care. Well, that I give a yeah. shit. I mean, you know, it's, this isn't really my world, you know? Right, right. So, but uh, anyway, so that's how we became friends. Uh, so he, he records a podcast there. He had me on a few times. Right. And, but the, the time I, uh, the first time I was there, you ever heard of Risk? It's a podcast, storytelling podcast. So I told this story, I guess I told it on Duncan's podcast or something about how I was tripping on acid in Guatemala and I got stung by a scorpion. (laughs) Man, your life's amazing. Yeah, it was a it was a strange moment. Anyway, they heard it and they asked me if I would tell the story for their thing and they did these live live show. Right. So it was recorded at that place, that comic book store in the back there. And so I go down and I'm going to tell the story. But it turns out that it's not like really a storytelling thing. It's more like four stand-up comics and me. Okay. And so I go on after Andy Rick. Right. You're going. Or, up no, up Andy up. Dick. Andy, Andy Dick. Dick. Yeah. yeah. It's like ah, oh, this is fuck. So I ended up telling a different story okay. about having sex with a cat. Did um, you see that animation? No. Oh, yeah. No. This guy animated it. It's it's insane. This, they both of these. Sto- First of all, Guatemala, <laughs> acid, and scorpion just r- connected with me on a. That sounds like an amazing story. Yeah. But sex yeah. with a cat? Yeah. Well, yeah. Were you a kid or something? Or yeah, this, yeah. yeah. No, no. This is like last... <laughs> it was a big cat. It was a, it was a mountain lion. Oh, shit. No, no, no. I'm kidding. Um, yeah. No, I just told this story in Rogan's podcast. Okay. People, people who listen, yeah, okay, they, they've heard it, it a million times. There's uh, If you... Go- <laughs> I hate to say this, but if you Google Christopher Ryan sex with a oh, cat... Oh, there's a cartoon of it. Yeah. There's okay, this cool. animation. I think it's called Nine and a Half weeks it can't be nine and a half weeks nine and a half something right 
Um, anyway, what the fuck? Oh, so yeah, so I was on that stage telling mm-hmm. telling the story about sex with a cat. Right. Yeah, yeah. we're on. So we're on location shooting everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll go on tour similar to a stand up comic. I just go on the road by myself with a th- little thumb drive in my pocket, which is my one hour set of music. It's uh-huh. actually about thirty minutes of music, and I do an hour show where it's half jokes, half songs, and it's just become kind of this thing where I. I I tell people, you don't have to like my music. I don't like my music. But if you want to have a good time, come to the fucking show. Like, the last thing I want to hear is me rapping about fucking just the immature shit that I, I rap about. It's more the vibe of the people that come in. There's more girls than guys. And it just turns out to be a fun night. Yeah. So I go on the road and do that, you know, a lot less now. So you nowadays. do it in comedy clubs? No, or? I do it in music venues, which oh. is an interesting thing because... Oh. You know, you do the music so they're standing up. It's not like stand-up where people are sitting down. Right, so they're standing right. up, which changes the vibe immediately. Right. And I incorporate a lot of the crowd into the show. I bring them on stage. I talk to them. I improv with people. So people want to come because they want to be on stage. And right. they get to maybe get part of the show. You never know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I keep it real loose. And uh, I, I pump the brakes on doing the, the Dirt Nasty shows lately just because living on the road is really fucking tiring. But it, it pays good. So I'll go and do three or four dates a month and come home. Just went to Portland, Seattle, uh, Bellingham, and Tacoma. Mm. Sold out all the shows. Great times. You know, about 600-person venues. So people know know you from what? How do they know you? From your online stuff? Yeah, or they just know Dirt Nasty's sort of been a character that I created that lives mostly online. It doesn't really spill into TV and film too much. Right. Um, I've been put in a couple couple of my songs have been put into movies and stuff like that. But most people just associate it with... When MySpace first came out about 10 years ago, that was the beginning of social media, me and my boys were pretty you know, relevant on there because we got really good numbers and my buddy was the first artist signed to MySpace Music. And so we just made a good impact on that. So I said, oh, this is interesting. You know, this is, this is social media. What the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, it was so new and it's only 10 years old. I think it was 05, so 12 years old. And it just took off from there and, and I learned firsthand that people will come to your shows and all through your computer, all through social media, you can have a career. You yeah. Know? Uh, so I've gotten both, like half my life was pre, half of my life, not career-wise, but my actual life. I think the first 22 years of my life or whatever was no social media, no cell phones. And then the second half was. So I've gotten yeah. to see both worlds and how right. necessary, how much of a necessary evil it is to have this stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now yeah. if there wasn't Twitter. So you could connect with some cool people and make things I happen. I hear you, man. That's or you could crazy. connect with a psycho bitch that'll kill you. You never yeah. know. It's, just, it's up to you. <laughs> you could sit in front of your computer and just watch some mindless shit. Or well, you I'm going to kill you when I turn Perfect. off the okay, mic. Good. Yeah. Do yeah. it on tape, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would be great Dude. for my numbers. Oh, it would be good. <laughs> it boosts my numbers. It wouldn't be as good for me, but... <laughs> okay, it's uh, a sacrifice. Uh, so, but what, so what is your deal? Because you're simultaneously... I, I was saying this to Gabby Reese, same kind of feeling I had with her the other day like she and Laird here they are they're like beach volleyball and surfing mm-hmm. if there are two more like chill laid back kind of things to be into I don't mm-hmm. know what they are right and yet they're at the top of those games right they, so they've taken these it's almost like competitive hammock lying <laughs> right, you know right, it's like right, I right. am the most relaxed that's a good sport yeah yeah I remember there was an onion uh, headline years uh-huh. ago where it's like the world yoga competitions mm-hmm. and it showed some dude like some bald dude in a you know yoga outfit mm-hmm. saying like I am the serenest mm-hmm. you know <laughs> right 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 it's like so like you're you're 
you're this very kind of chilled guy, doesn't want to punch a clock, you know, suspicious of ambition and all this. Right. But meanwhile, you're like doing 15 different things and you're yeah. really good and you're like playing, oh, you know, didn't know anything about social media and then you get into it and you're fucking nailing it, you know? You're, yeah, I mean. Are you driven? I guess I'm driven to explore things that are are there. I don't. It's weird. I, I don't really think about it that way. But I guess are you just it's high hard for energy. Me. Well, it's hard for yeah. I, a part of my brain is definitely uh, go getter, and I, it's hard for me to just kick my feet up too much because I constantly need to be creating. Hmm. So that's why social media is great because I can go on my phone, shoot some silly little video, edit it myself, and that day I can post it and get a response from people all laughing and having a good time and right. maybe there's no money involved but I love the creative process and right. I like to make people laugh you right. know so I've always been the class clown I've always been you know that guy that just so I don't you, know what you like the attention yeah I yeah. think I just like to make people laugh maybe right. it is the attention maybe that's you know you, you could break that down to you know uh, being an only child and and Pops never being around on a psychological level, that all makes sense. But I really do like to make people laugh. I yeah. feel like that's why I, I'm here and I really do enjoy that process. And social media is just a means to doing that. Yeah. Also creating a song. You just create a little three-minute little vibe. And I like making music here. And I just it's just creative. It's just to... It's such a quick turnaround, like doing a song or doing a, uh, uh, yeah. a, a, a social media bit or a YouTube video. It's such a quick result as opposed to when you do a movie for four months and then it has right. to get edited and then these people get involved Try and you right sit back and hope it turns book, out dude. good. I can't Jesus even ima can imagine. See, that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at writing, but I hate it. Right. I really don't like it because I'm like you. I don't want to be sitting in a room alone. I want to be having fun. Right. I love doing public appearances. Yeah, you're you know? good at it. You're a good public speaker. Yeah, well, thanks. And, and, yeah. and also, like what you were saying, like I, I remember giving this talk in Portland when the book first came out. Like My publisher didn't, didn't pay for shit, right? right? What happened was people in different cities would contact me and say, hey, man, if we set up an event and we sell tickets and we guarantee you 5000 bucks, will you come? And I was like, fuck yeah, of course. So I would. So these were these spontaneous events. Right. Where, so I show up in Portland, and they'd sold out this uh, the Baghdad Theater in uh -huh. Portland. It was like 800 seats or uh -huh. something, balcony. And I remember walking out on stage, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? None of these people have ever heard of me, right? I'm some guy who wrote this book about sex and prehistory. It's why are they all here? I'm not. You struck a Pinker. powerful chord, dude. Well, you know what else it was, and I, I joked with them. I, I I stood there for a minute, and I was like, I was like, wait a minute, you people, you're not here to see me. You're here to meet each other. You're here because you're figuring it's a fucking rainy Wednesday in Portland. You're figuring that. The kind of person who comes to an event like this is going to be smart and sexy and open-minded. You think they consciously did that? That's I think crazy. a lot yeah. of them were like, hey, you know. It's like going to sex gonna addict meeting cool or something. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's like, so I stopped. I was like, hey, I'm just, let's just take five minutes and everybody, you know, introduce yourselves. Wow, you know, that's cool. You know, say hello because a bunch of you are going to get laid tonight. Right. And that's all good karma for me. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I like getting people laid. I right. like... The kind of, and like you, I've lived in so many different worlds that I love have. I mean, I used to have these parties in Spain. Casilda and I would have these parties where it's like, okay, that guy, he's a brain surgeon. She's a hooker. He's a tattoo artist. 
you know, he's a professional soccer player, and this is the only place they're ever going to hang right. out. Right, because you got on such a primal level, you really, I think it's such an important book for everybody to, to read, uh, or if you have severe ADHD like I do, get the audio book, uh, even though you say you don't like the people that read the lines, it's still digestible and yeah. the information's great. I found myself listening to it so much that I'd have to rewind it a lot because it was so much powerful information. A lot of it was a confirmation for me. It was yeah. like, this is shit that I felt hardwired into me. Yeah. And I was struggling with the hardwired nature of that and what you're told is supposed to happen. Right. And I've always kind of rebelled against that. I think the masses are wrong. The masses eat McDonald's. The masses on Netflix will give There Will Be Blood three stars out of five, but Beverly Hills Chihuahua two five stars. <laughs> so I don't trust most people. <laughs> Same yeah. on Yelp. You look yeah. at it and your instinct is to go safety yeah. in numbers. Yeah. So you're hardwired to really go with that but then if you really step back and look at it most people are wrong and I don't think I'm better than anybody but I've always sort of felt that way so your book was a real confirmation and a lot of new data to to digest because it was just fascinating to me because uh that's some real shit and and I think it's important for a lot of people to to get the book I'm sure most of your listeners are already familiar with it but I'll blast this out to my followers of weirdos and hopefully some of them will gravitate even the few posts that I've done where I'm just listening to the audiobook and staring blankly into this camera <laughs> I've been, I've, I got so many messages in like what is this book and people that I hadn't talked to in a couple years are like what the, what is this and I, I like, send them the information you did this little eye there's something about it where I said like humans have the, the longest and thickest right. penis of all the primates right. and you just, <laughs> just sort of looking. look at the camera yeah yeah give a little wink uh yeah there's a lot of interesting information man and, and i learned so much about bonobos through your book and went online and started looking at videos oh, of bonobos, bonobos having sex out there the only species that are face to face face to face is, is that right and, and look at and each other's hands eyes and kissing, and kissing and yeah we're closer to chimps and bonobos than chimps and bonobos are to, to, to anything other else primates. yeah that's some crazy shit yeah, we're uh, closer to them than the African elephant is to the Indian, Indian elephant. elephant. Right. Yeah, That's some powerful shit, man. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people, you know, are, <clears throat> you know, this is always a tough one because people that grow up with a strict religious background, they're not trying to hear it. They still believe the Earth's 10,000 years old. Evolution isn't real. And I just got to step back and say, wait, and then let's just look at the science. I know you were taught to believe that, but to me, organized religion is just a huge business. It's very manipulative. It's very controlling. And I think in the past, probably people would see a lightning bolt or an earthquake and be, there has to be something else. But now we're in a time where there's data provided that you just can't deny. Yeah. It's like saying dinosaurs aren't real, but there's yeah. fucking bones in the ground. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. But people don't want to hear it. So it's always, it's like, you know, don't talk about politics or religion at the dinner table. I think that applies in life a lot too. People just, you're opening a big door. So yeah. you're facing something head on that's really important. And that, uh, I, I, you didn't change my mind. You confirmed a lot of things, but I think hopefully some people will change their mind about some stuff and open their eyes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as we always say, it's not a it's not a advocacy book. We're not telling anyone they're wrong to be monogamous. We're no, just it's saying, not preachy at all. No, it's just like, look, you want to be monogamous, that's fine, but it's like being a vegetarian. Bacon still smells good. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. You're going to, you got to. Like you're always going to be an omnivore, no matter what you decide. Right. You can eat like an These herbivore. These teeth were made to carve into some meat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a funny world. This book I'm working on now is the same kind of thing, but on a much broader scale. You know, it's, What's it's, the, what is it again? It's you called Civilized to Death. Oh, that was not the other one you told me about that you want to do. That's, oh, that's right, like right, down right. the road. Right. Yeah, Zero Steps to Optimal Health. Right. Yeah. I, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're writing a book now? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm kind of done with it. I mean, done with the writing. I'm editing it now. Right. But the problem is... What I did, you know, the thing, when I wrote Sex at Dawn, there was nothing else going on in life. My wife was working. I'm home alone. Uh, I've been, I was teaching English in in Spain and doing some translating and whatever. And so I quit that. It's like, okay, I'll just focus on writing this thing. I had no idea it was ever going to get published. It was really, I only wrote it because my wife was like, do it, do it. Right. Trust me. It's good. It's a great right. idea. And, and then she wrote it with you or did well, she just have it? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, cause English is her seventh language. Right. So what happened was at the end of the process, when like total mind blowing surprise, like an agent wanted, like lots of agents wanted to represent us and represent me. And then a publisher, like several publishers were like, yeah, we'll publish this. And it was like, what, what? Holy fuck. You know? Cause I, it was all just like, this is a one in a million, nothing's going to happen. And then suddenly it was like, holy shit. There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. It, that, that's crazy. how I, not to just make it about yeah. me, but that's the same shit with my, like when I created music for fun and I was just doing it to do it. And it just, happened because I wasn't really had I didn't really in my mind say oh, I'm gonna make it and yeah I just did it there's no pressure no you just do it you just like do Black it Sabbath fun. created heavy metal without even knowing what they were doing oh really yeah I and then know. there's a documentary on it and then afterwards they got signed and they got the whole deal and the label's like do it again and they all looked at each other like what the fuck did we do <laughs> we got to create that lightning in a bottle again and now there's a time restriction and this and yeah. that and what the fuck yeah you know and they struggled with it and like most generally speaking most artists when it comes to their music maybe their soft their first album or sophomore album is amazing and then it kind of just gets worse and worse and worse with fame right. and money and right. all these things because it's distracted it i get it you yeah. know yeah. uh so it's it's hard to stay yeah. motivated and fresh and do new things that's why i'm constantly reinventing myself and doing like i'll try this music thing i'll try social media i'll try i did stand up for a little bit realized it wasn't for me i, I tried jujitsu for a little while I realized i'm not a fighter mm. you gotta just try shit and yeah. see what works and then as you get older you kind of find out what your lane is and i think in life the more you kind of stick to your lane i think the world's a better place if everyone knows their role it's like if you look at life as a play and you know your character and everyone else does i feel like the play plays out better but it's yeah. when people are struggling with who they are and they don't know and you're trying to do these other things when you're, you think it's just age too you're younger it just uh it doesn't seem to be as uh, interesting of a play you know well Yes and no. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Like when you figure out what you're good at and, and then you, you get better at it right. you, as you focus in more, as you get older, you sort of focus in more. But another book idea I have, which who knows if I'll ever get to it. But when I turned 50 five years ago, a lot of people were like sort of, you know, giving me a hug and like, hey, buddy, you'll be all right. You get through it. You know, the big five oh. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why, why does everyone think <laughs> right. I'm sad? Like, right. I, you know, right, right. my life's better than it's ever right, been. Like, right. I went from teaching English in Barcelona for 20 euros an hour to, you know, best-selling author. Right. The book out in 20 languages. Like, what the fuck? You know, right. I, I, don't feel bad for me. Yeah. And, but, and then I was like, okay, so why is every, why is 50 so hard for people? And, and I, I sort of looked around at my friends and I real, realized like when you're 50 as a man, particularly, the typical guy is like, 
you're 50, you've been married a long time, your sex life is kind of done, mm-hmm. you're, you got a lot of responsibility, because now you're the boss, you're the manager, you're the owner, you're your the- Kids in rehab or college or whatever. Right. right, you got a mortgage, you got kids in school, you got all this pressure on you. you, there's not a lot of fun in your life, there's not a lot of change, and so life sucks when you're 50 for most men. But right. my life is like, man, I'm doing all this new stuff. Like you were saying, I'm mixing it up. I'm doing these new things. I'm standing up in front of people and making them laugh. I've never done that before on right. a, you know, hundreds of it's people. It's a magical about, feeling. It's amazing. And I'm learning all this stuff about myself, you know, new skills I didn't know I had. All this crazy shit's happening in my life. So I thought, what a cool idea for a book. In my 50s, because I think one of the problems is that men get, you know, you said in their lane, I would say in a rut you know, is another way to look at it. And you're like, okay, I just have to keep doing what I know I'm good at. I know I'm good at managing this tire sales business and I'm just going to keep doing it and ride this out. And you look forward and it's like, what do I have to look forward to? Retirement and death pretty much. Right. So I'm like, okay, in my fifties, I'm going to learn five new things. I'm going to fail. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to try crazy shit. And the idea for the book is to go to places where I was when I was younger so there will be like a memoir aspect to like it Physically as well. going to a lo- geographical right. location? Like, for example, I was in Alaska uh-huh. two summers when I was young working right. on fishing boats uh-huh. and shit. I almost so, did that, yeah. I so I want to go to Alaska and learn to fly a single-engine plane from wow. a bush pilot. Wow. Like some crusty old fucker who's been right. up there. So that'll be one chapter, right? Okay. Another chapter would be Aikido. Go to Japan and do Aikido because I oh, did that's Aikido. that's cool, man. That's so, really cool. Yeah, and then like go to... I don't know, Cuba or Colombia or Senegal or someplace and learn like percussion. So it'll be like one dorky old white dude and a you bunch of You document this as well or just write it? Because well, that'll be interesting to watch. That's what I'm thinking. I've got friends who are filmmakers yeah. and stuff. Yeah, you've got to shoot about, that. Shoot that, yeah. So yeah, in the podcast, you know, like right. that, that yeah, all these things just it happened. All. It's all synergistically, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just kind of finding your stride now. And if you're yeah. like, I go back to that ninety percent, and I hope I don't offend any of the listeners by saying this because whatever works for you is fine. But like that's that ninety percent of the at least of that, those fifty year olds that are saying that just because that's where they're at. You know, yeah. when they're like, hey man, it'll be all right. It's like, well, dude, yeah, like you said, I'm fine. I, I deal with that all the time. I'm yeah. so. I really resonates with me because I people are saying to me all the time like don't worry man you'll one day you'll do it. I'm like are you fucking kidding me yeah. I'm fucking on cruise control I'm having a blast like <laughs> life's amazing I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow yeah life's an open yeah. book yeah I don't know you know and yeah yeah which gets us back to Jack right and mm-hmm. this this conversation this friend recounted apparently Jack was feeling bad he's like yeah I live up here I'm alone and you know I got girls who come and visit whatever but I, they don't know me they don't give a shit about me right and and she was like yeah well do you have regrets and he said you know I don't really because in order to not be where I am now I'd have to change the last 25 years of my life and I had a great time so I don't want to you know right. no I'm not regretting it right like it kind of sucks right now that i'm in some ways it sucks that i'm up here and nobody knows me but yeah 
Didn't you say on one of your, maybe I'm mistaken, uh, didn't you say on one of your podcasts that that's, uh, when people say that, that, hey, had I not made those choices, I wouldn't be here today, and that's sort of a lazy excuse. I forget how you worded yeah, it. Well, the, In his the, case, it's a little different, I guess. Yeah, because but, because he's saying, you know, I pay, I'm paying a price now right. for the really good time I've had in my life, right. and I got no regrets because right. I'm looking at the whole package. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that whole thing like, oh, I wouldn't change anything because then I wouldn't be me. And you're like, right. well, maybe you could be better. You know, right. like Charles Manson is like, yeah, hey, I wouldn't change a single thing. Right. Like, okay, Charlie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Because uh, people do that. I mean, the reason I got into that loop is people, you know, are talking about civilization. The book I'm working on now is, is basically... Uh, an ex- you know the Louis C.K. bit where he's on the airplane and there's Wi-Fi... And he's like, fuck, there's Wi-Fi in airplanes. And he's checking his email. And then the Wi-Fi right. goes down and stewardess says, it's going to be five minutes. To, we have to reboot it. And the guy next to him says, oh, this fucking sucks. And Louis's like, Jesus Christ, we take everything for granted. Right. Do you remember that yeah. bit? No, I, I, I don't know if I remember it, but that uh, was that in one of his stand-up specials? He, he did it on Conan. So okay. He did it on Conan. I'm and sure it, I've heard it. went it. viral. It's this crazy. And then he's like, he goes into this whole thing about like, um, you know, where, you know, we're sitting, you, you take a flight. It used to be to get from New York to L.A. It took like six years. And right. Babies no, a comic born. used to do that joke that we take flying for granted. Like you're complaining about being delayed an hour. It's like you're flying through the air. That's, that's it. That's his thing. Oh, like, that Louis? You're sitting in a right. chair sitting, in the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that same okay. bit. Yeah. Same bit. Okay. Yeah. And then, anyway, at the end of it, he says, these days, everything's amazing, but nobody's happy. Totally. So that's the subtitle I want to use on oh, this that's book. That's great, man. Why is it that is everything truly amazing? And if so, why are we not happier? Because right. if progress, if civilization is this great thing that we're told it is, shouldn't everyone just be getting happier and happier? But that isn't what's happening. I think so it gets more complicated. Going on? I think it gets more complicated. You're just dealing with more elements. And you know, I, I had the same moment the other day. I'm like driving. I'm listening to your audiobook, driving, using my navigation on the same phone. So it kept cutting you off saying, yeah, or not you, the robot reading your, your writing, <laughs> kept cutting you off saying, right turn ahead in 200 feet turn. And I almost snapped because I'm <laughs> mad that my GPS is telling me what to do over listening <laughs> yeah. to your audiobook. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, this is yeah. crazy. And I had to, yeah. like, take a step back and realize what was going on. Yeah. And I was just frustrated with the technology. So it's almost just like the more options they say, the more yeah. options you have, the more unhappy you are. It's like yeah. where they tell people, don't tell your kids where do you want to go for, or ask them right. where do you want to go for dinner. You tell just take them. them. Yeah. I call it the Cheesecake Factory Theory. You ever been right. to the Cheesecake Factory? No. It's a restaurant where they have 5,000 options. Yeah. Give me five options. Yeah. Give me five options yeah. and I'm cool. Like it's, right. it's overwhelming. It's like Netflix is like that or YouTube. Yeah. You're just like, where do I even begin? Like I'm immediately overwhelmed with options. Yeah. And I think that might be part of it is that it's too much. That's part of it. And the other thing is that, you know, our lives are geared toward comfort. And you ever read a book called Anti-Fragile? No. It's, it's a very, it's, I mean, it's uh, Nassim Tlaib or Tlaib Nassim. He also, he wrote The Black Swan was a big bestseller. Okay. What's the Um, book called? Anti-Fragile. But essentially, oh, at first I thought it was A U N T, like Auntie Fragile. Auntie, no, auntie, <laughs> auntie Fragile. Okay. And, and uncle, like she sounds like an amazing person. An uncle robot. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Auntie Fragile, what, what he, it, it's just this one concept that's really interesting. He says, 
Think of something fragile. You might think of a, a champagne glass in a, in a wooden box, right? If you shake the box, it shatters. Right. That's fragility, right? right? And then if I say think of the anti-fragile, you might think of a rock in the box. You shake it and still a right. rock and nothing happens. But in fact, that's not anti-fragile. That's stable. Anti-fragile would be something you put in the box that when you shake the box, it gets stronger, right? It's the opposite right. of fragility. Okay. So... Think about your, you know, muscles. Muscles are anti-fragile. You stress them, they get stronger. Right. Some good relationships are anti-fragile. You have a challenge, you have to deal with it, and then you're closer than you were before, so the, the stress right. makes it stronger. Right. So he points out that in life we make this, this cognitive mistake all the time that we think the spectrum goes from fragile to the rock, the champagne glass to the rock, but it doesn't, it goes from the champagne glass, the rock is like zero, champagne glass is negative 10, but then positive 10 is something that gets stronger from the stress right, or from the trauma. Right, interesting, right? yeah. And um, so I was thinking about, I have these friends, I've told this story before, but I have these friends in Topanga that I stay with sometimes uh, when I was visiting, and uh, I stay in their guest house, and they're really nice people, they're generous, beautiful people, and they, have this bed and they, one time I was staying there and the woman said, oh, you know, pay attention to the mattress tonight because we just put this new mattress there. It's this super expensive $4,000 natural latex from the Amazon, whatever the fuck it is. And uh, so the next morning I go down for breakfast and she says, what'd you think of the bed? I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot. And I was like, I don't know. I, I got in the bed and I fell asleep. So I guess right. it was great, you know? Right. And, it, and so I started thinking about that, and it's like comfort is not the opposite of discomfort. Right. Comfort yeah, yeah. is the rock. Right. Comfort is the absence of experience. Right. Discomfort is negative experience. Right. But we think that's the spectrum. But in fact, the spectrum goes, what would, what would the anti-fragile be in that case? It, I think about like camping out. It's cold, it's rainy, you're in a tent in a good sleeping bag. That's fucking beyond comfort right. because that's a positive it's, sensation. Is it relative to where your environment? Well, yeah, and, and it's and it's like you're so close to that discomfort. You're right. so close to that freezing rain, but you're warm and dry. So there's like, you know, or, or like, um, I don't know, like, you know, the zero would be, hunger would be the, the discomfort, would be the anti, the fragile satiated would be the zero right but there's something on the other side of that there's being hungry and like not eating because you know you're going to enjoy it more right you know or being horny and not fucking right. or not coming right. because you right. want to like heighten it when it comes right. so there's all this experience on the other side of that zero that we just forget about yeah we because do. we're going for comfort and comfort is deadness comfort is numbness right and it talks about that in that uh, Marcus Aurelius, this, I think it's in that book, about once a year sleep on your floor oh. and drink rainwater. You're right. It's a stoic thing. It is. It goes back to the stoic it thing. It is. Yeah. Get yeah. it figured out. And back then, I mean, their technology was, I guess at the time was, you know, they probably just had figured out the irrigation and all these things. Yeah. But back then, they, I mean, think about what we have now. It's fucking overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Turn off your damn phone every once in a while. I know. Take a cold shower. I, I do the cold shower thing. Do you thing. do the Wim Hof thing? Uh, I, know I just got put on to him recently. A friend of mine goes to him and I just checked him out. That's, that's super interesting because I totally agree with the, the breathing and the cold water. Yeah. And I've been doing the cold showers for a while. It's part of the Kundalini yogas that they tell you to take cold showers. Uh, then when you take a warm one, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I just did a 10-day cleanse where all I did was a raw vegan diet for 10 days. And life was pretty boring when you don't get to experience how good food is. And I'll tell you, do that for 10 days and then go eat a warm meal. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. You got to appreciate every bite, yeah. you know, it's... And it's healthy you because it you're granted. not going to eat shit. Right. Right. If you're really tasting your food, that's why this book, The Zero Steps to Optimal Health, part of it is like, you don't really need to do all these special diets and shit. You just need to pay attention. You need to enjoy it. If you're really focused, you're going to eat good food because you're going to, you're not going to want to eat shit. Right. And you, you know, it's interesting too. If you go a long time without eating some shitty fast food and then once in a while you're stuck in an airport and you're forced to eat it, you feel like shit. Yeah. You can, you, you really notice the feel, difference. I'm, yeah. I'm a foodie. So I, I spend all my money on eating good and I go to this health food store right here and I, I just eat good food. And it's such a simple pleasure, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, that's everything, man. Yeah. Traveling and food, that's really all I spend my money on. I don't need material things. Uh, and then you get this you buddy know, pass. You're, you're all oh, set. Oh, man, dude. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And it, that's so cool. It's kind of like it, it's an open book. I have no idea where or when I'm going to go anywhere. It's yeah. just it's living that life of just uh, not knowing what's coming next. It makes it an adventure a little more. And I yeah. think that goes back a little bit to what you were saying with these people that are coming up and patting my back saying, hey, man, it'll be all right. It's because they're stuck in that that story yeah which so many people are and yeah that's that's what that's what your book really sp again spoke to me because i think i'm the only one of my friends that i grew up with that isn't married with kids or mm. at least been through it you know so yeah. i'm the weirdo yeah uh but i think again that's just fighting the hardwiring which is that we're really not a monogamous species with what is the marriage was written in the ninth century or something? What, what, by Catholic there are different Church, theories. That... Yeah, I mean, some people. Well, there are different theories. The the romantic love. Some people think that it came about with the troubadours in the medieval period. That before that, marriage was purely about families joining together and you know money, basically arranged marriages. Right. And this whole idea of romantic love and yeah. I guess it's just about sacrifice because if you give up some of those things like, you know, anything in life is sacrifice. So if you give up, I guess in order for our speech, like I was watching the, uh, uh, the BBC show called Life. It's the same people that do Animal Planet and mm -hmm. it's just mind blowing and everything I was watching and I thought of your book because everything in it was uh, really uh, like the purpose of all these creatures, whether it's plants or whatever, they're just procreate. It's all about procreation. Right. And it's just so animal. And I think as much as it's, we're hardwired to be non-monogamous, we're also hardwired to procreate as a species. Well, yeah, we're certainly hardwired to fuck. Right. For so, sure. I mean, we, we've got the technology a to go through. thousand to one? Is that the ratio? A thousand set to one? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it seems roughly, low. roughly. Right. Because right. some people it's ten you. and some people it's two thousand. Exactly. It's one of my jokes. Right. Yeah. 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 Hey, listen, we've been going a long time. Yeah. I don't want to take you, up your whole no, day. We, you, you don't sit still for an hour and a half very no, often. I no, imagine. I don't. But this is interesting to me and I wanted to yeah. learn from you more. So we'll this hang again fun. another yeah. time. Yeah, let's do it. We'll do it off here. mic. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Thank Thanks you for so doing much. this. Dude, thank you, man. That was awesome. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does, please direct them through the link on my page, chrisryanphd.com. You click on that baby once, bookmark the landing page on Amazon, and then 8 to 10% of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at Carsey Blanton. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You want to shut it up, but give it a rest. You're going to die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say.
a big deal if you want to be free say what you want to feel spend the night with me i'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground